0: All right. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to episode four of We Have Such Films to Show You, the uh, podcast where Josh and Yakov watch all of the Hellraiser movies, all nine of them, and review them and talk about them and pick them apart and discuss random theories about how they work and also, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, It's real highbrow stuff.
1: I think soon enough, it's not even going to be reviewing anymore. It's just going to be like gaping at a at an accident. We're just going to be and sitting around making things out. Yeah. It's like look,
0: that thing's on fire. That's yeah, long long <laughs> series of moans and you know why did we do this? <laughs> but we're not there yet because uh, I want to say up front, uh, I feel like I've been sort of trash talking it. Maybe not, uh, maybe mostly in my head, but uh, I feel like I've been sort of trash talking Hellraiser Four. And you know what, Hellraiser Four. It was not as terrible as I remembered it for being last year. It's certainly better than three. It is. It's it's, it is. it's a more interesting film. Uh,
1: and it's uh, it's also directed by uh, famed director Alan Smithy.
0: Who has done a lot of work. That guy has been around. He's, uh, I was looking up his credits. This guy is a dynamo.
1: Yeah, for somebody who doesn't exist, he really is just you know knocking it out of the
0: park with his movies. <laughs> So this was uh, uh, a...
1: Should we explain who Alan Smith is? We we,
0: we should, for anybody who isn't getting our dumb (laughs) in-joke.
1: So um, basically in Hollywood, I think this started sometime in the late 60s, um, when a director doesn't want to take credit for directing a movie because, you know, maybe they think they didn't it, it's not their movie because you know they were writ- written off of it or fired and replaced, so they don't want to say that it's their movie or if the movie reflects poorly on them or if like a particular edit is really bad. Uh, they won't take credit for it, and so they created this uh, person named Alan Smithy, and he gets the credit for movies other people don't want to take credit for. Which is uh, what happened on this one. It was originally developed. Uh, it was originally directed by Kevin Yeager, who other I-, I couldn't find any directing credits for him. He seems to be a yeah. uh, he's a special effects guy. He See, did. Yeah, um,
0: I-, I thought I saw. I thought I recognized the name from effects stuff, and so I was confused about.
1: Yeah, he's like a straight up effects guy, um, and yeah, so he directed it. But then I-, I I think he either he wasn't happy with the edit or. Um, yeah, they edited his movie to such an extent that it ended up just being a mess and he was just like, it's it's going to be an Alan Smithy movie. So, and um actually the you can see a lot of uh deleted scenes and uh a completely, well not a completely but a rather different ending on YouTube and I guess we'll get into that when we get to <laughs> the ending. Um yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, and it did not make as much money as um, as Hellraiser 3. It made about $3 million or less, and I could not find a budget for this one either. I was going to say, is
0: that net or gross? Cause it's uh, gross. Because this, this did not, I will say this, I could believe that despite being a, I think, better put together movie, and in, in most cases, better looking movie, uh, I could believe that this was a less expensive one. Just because oh, there's yeah. not a giant exploding city sequence. Yeah, um, there's
1: there's one explosion, and it's clearly it's it's um it, there was it was supposed to be uh the box the Marshawn's box exploding, except they pretty clearly used a considerably larger scale model so they could get the explosion to be bigger, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing that blows up is like pretty clearly the size of like a small crate. Um, so that, that was pretty funny. It's probably hard and to, to get there's a good also explosion the, uh, out of the
0: two inch square yeah. box
1: and uh this this is the i think was there any cgi in the last one
0: any significant cgi at least uh, i don't remember specifically there were some optical effects that may have been sort of i mean they were probably computer created like, like, like some of the lens right. smudging stuff was probably done with a computer but but yeah but I, I, I don't I don't, straight up animation like yeah, this yeah one. i don't think there was any 3d models yeah um which, to the previous films' credit, because I have to say, yeah. uh, the 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 space station—I don't know how else to do. Obviously, they built the space station. This one out of whatever they built Babylon Five out of, because it had <laughs> you know very similar textural looks. Even though this was a little bit, I want to say, more cleanly done, uh, yeah. slightly higher polygon count or whatever. But yeah, it looked like it was made out of the same material as Babylon Five, and but it looked looks okay. Like a-
1: it looked like star it looked a lot like uh the, just the space shots in Starship Troopers too where it's you know clearly not an actual spaceship that you're looking at but the at, le- at least the external like the shots of things floating in space were not that bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. The
1: yeah, the um the opening scene though with the uh, the Terminator trying to unlock the box, uh, that was awful.
0: It is. Yeah, it was so bad. It was like, that was when I started saying, I miss the shitty hand-drawn uh, animation from the earlier films, which <laughs> at least to their credit, they did bring back at the the end of this one too. Yeah. But uh, that CGI was, it looked so, it looked like, you know what it looked like? It looked like a really awesome SIGGRAPH demo from like 1983. Like that would have <laughs> blown the nerds away Fifteen years earlier, at a tech, you know, <laughs> showcase, but uh, but yeah, just really, it looked like something some kid, made, like some kid, would make something significantly better looking than that. Now, in an afternoon, with oh, yeah, uh, current like modeling software, it was, it was not good. It was not. And good.
1: it probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars oh, for the, like that, like like I mean, we were about forty-five seconds of a robot trying to you know, uh, uh-huh. trying to unlock uh, the box and. The box that just did not even look remotely real. Yeah, that, no, that, looked, that's the thing. Not even a little.
0: Which is funny because I mean that's 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 where you would expect to get away with more with like less than perfect modern CGI. Is if you're doing like something that's a, a fairly simple geometric structure, maybe that at least you can sort of get the right shine on. But yeah, it was not. They did not have the uh, the right uh, shaders and ray tracing and and whatever the hell in play there.
1: That was actually when I, I – this is the first Hellraiser movie I ever saw. I think I was um, – oh, man, I must have been in – probably maybe even in junior high, at a, 1996. Uh, yeah, so I was probably probably in junior high school, and this is the first one I saw. And remember how in the first episode um, I mentioned that I have, like, moderate face blindness? Yeah. When I was a kid and saw this, I couldn't, I didn't actually recognize the fact that um, Bruce Ramsey, who's the guy who plays um, Le Marchand or Merchant through the three things, I didn't realize that was the same actor. <laughs> this time fun. while watching it, I had to look up to see if like, his love interests through the generations were played by the same woman because I couldn't tell. Ah. They weren't.
0: They weren't. They weren't. No. Left.
1: In case anybody else is wondering. Um, they were not.
0: <laughs> I I I don't want to talk too much about the cut of the film that we didn't see because I still haven't watched it, but I think it's so interesting. A lot of my complaints about this film are the the way it's kind of a mess put together. And I think that's exactly what the Alan Smithy thing is about, is the director what what little I've read about it so far, the director basically had like 110 minute cut that he wanted that he had shot significant portions of uh and then that got cut down by the studio to try and get pinhead in sooner and make things maybe less gory which really you're gonna take your horror franchise and try and cut down the
1: i don't know that was like that that was like the thing about this and yeah this movie was severely lacking on gore like like just I mean it was conspicuously absent,
0: yeah, and so the major like 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 it, it seems like the major set piece scene that's missing that got cut from the film and that apparently got mostly shot too um from what we saw of like work print stuff uh and screenshots looking at this yesterday it <laughs> seems like it seems like the big set piece that got cut is like really kind of a great set piece to do for this because the for for the people who have not watched the film the the basic structure of this film is as a anthology of three shorter stories through time, all following members of the uh, Le Marchand family. Uh, the original uh, Le Marchand, who invents, he's the toy maker who invents the box in the first place uh, at the behest of a, a, an occultist uh, dude. So he makes the box. France's
1: greatest magician.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, France's greatest toy maker working for France's greatest musician. Uh, magician. Musician, Yes. <laughs> It's a musical box. Well, I guess it kind of is. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so that's that's the past, is France in the 18th century, and then the present is uh, John Merchant, who's an architect, building a building based or on the box. possibly an
1: engineer or a scientist. They never really quite well, made a, they pretty. what they, his job—I mean, he's clearly an architect, but he knows a lot of other stuff about other stuff.
0: Oh, sure. But he, definitely architect was what we were supposed to get. I mean, he was on Architectural Digest or whatever it was, or whatever the fake that's magazine true. there was the trailer
1: actually credits or refers to him as a scientist which is funny that's
0: weird well but the, the the future one is sort of a scientist so 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 present day modern time one is john the architect uh just for having something to refer to him he's the architect and then future uh uh sometime like 130 years in the future is uh some sort of scientist space station engineer uh who wants to, for once and for all, destroy the box and close the gateway to hell that his ancestor created? So you've got these three parts. Uh, and it, it seems like the original cut was intended to be linear. Like you had France for, you know, half an hour, and then you had contemporary day for a half an hour, and then you had the future for half an hour, and just flowing like that. Uh,
1: yeah, and this one, they use the space thing as uh, well, was it? Was there anything in the middle? I know they used it as bookends and like as the framing device, uh, but I remember if there was any space stuff in the middle. There
0: were little bits. There were little bits. So he, we we open in space. He's trying to do something mysterious. He's got the Terminator robot that he's remote control opening the box with. The box opens. We see Pinhead. The robot explodes. A bunch of, in the meantime, a bunch of like, Future space soldier cop guys are breaking into the space station, basically taking this guy into custody. He's like, "No, I must finish my work." And then,
1: uh, and he then he gets interviewed. Then he gets
0: interviewed, yeah, by the uh, the, uh, the the uh,
1: usual suspects technique.
0: Yeah, and by then, Rimmer, yeah. which was <laughs> 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 this woman, this 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 soldier lady, the 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 one we were supposed to sympathize with at all, I guess, because you know she's she's a lady. And she's listening to him her name is Rimmer and uh, there there's there's jokes to be made just about you know sexual innuendo in general but then there's also Arnold Rimmer the holographic uh, crew member of Red Dwarf the classic uh, British sci-fi comedy series uh, so there's, there's some very complicated stuff going on here with the uh, the semiotics of, of that name but there's you also know, really a true. credit in here I just want to say. In the Mm -hmm. credits, one of the credits, somebody, some lucky lady got uh, the credits of... uh, Oh, shit, I can't even find it. It's uh, Stunt Double Rimmer. So uh, (sighs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Stunt Double Rimmer. (laughs) I'm sorry, what were you saying?
1: I've completely spaced (laughs) on it just because now I'm laughing at that.
0: (laughs) Casting in this, uh, the the guy who plays all three roles, I want to say... He wasn't bad. And that was one of the things that I want to go back on what I had been th- believing in my heart was that this guy was terrible. And he was not terrible. He's not – I mean, he's not great or anything. But he he was fine and he, he, he played all three roles and they played pretty similar. But then again, he's supposed to be sort of the bloodline. That's why it's Hellraiser 4 bloodline. There's this – yeah, I mean,
1: it's kind of like a what do you call it? A bildungsroman? Is that is that the thing for a person just growing like the kind of like story where a person you know grows up and grows into themselves? Because you know, like you know, the toy maker marchant he's like kind of um, you know nebish a little bit and a little scared, but then you know he just slowly gets the guts to do whatever he needs. And John Merchant, a little more, you know, he actually you know, talks back to Pinhead and then Paul Merchant, um, you know, he's, he, you know, he's future badass merchant. Guy. Yes.
0: Yes. We've see, we see him on the tail end of whatever personnel development he needed to do to be ready to do whatever it takes. Um, so he's just sort of like, yeah, focused and I'm going to blow this shit up, uh, from day one when we see him. I-
1: I guess doing this as an anthology really just sort of avoids having to have a uh, character, like, personality progression that makes sense. Because it gives you, like, oh, yeah, this is the guy that's next in the bloodline, and he's already got all these features that we want to show, and we don't really have to explain how we went from, like, being kind of weird and, like, offhand and being, you know, like the way he is at the end,
0: yeah. Which is, it's, it's. On the one hand, it's cheap. On the other hand, I'm willing to run with it. It's like, okay, I can yeah. sort of see what you're going for here. There's, I would have enjoyed a little bit more explanation of the sort of like racial memory of this uh, this family. Because at one point, at, at one point, we are explicitly shown the middle, the, the contemporary merchants um, hmm. having a sort of flashback to france merchant interacting with angelique the uh the female villain uh and and like yeah. that's the only where, that's the only place in the film i think where we see an explicit sort of visual reference to like him remembering a past life uh whereas there's more sort of conversational references by by the centibite angelique at times yeah um And Pinhead
1: uh, mentions that your blood remembers, yeah, which I guess would make the merchant uh, bloodline homeopathic. (laughs)
0: Ha ha! (laughs) Oh, but yes, yes, no. There's a little bit of uh, metaphysics in there, and as usual with uh, the Hellraiser movies, my main complaint is that I would have liked to have actually had them do something interesting with that metaphysics rather than just being said, "Oh, and here's a thing that you know maybe you can think about, but let's not discuss." But uh, but that's that's my issue. I can I can deal with that on my own time. Uh, the thing
1: about this, I actually remembered. I was thinking about Rimmer, where you know I I have a feeling that it must have been an illusion, just because this film just explicitly alludes to so much of like previous Hellraiser stuff. A lot more than any of the other three. There's just like little visual references or just you know quotes that pop up here and there in a way that the other three were, I don't want to say more original, but this one, if you have seen all of the other ones, there's a bit more to it to enjoy than if this is, like, the only Hellraiser movie you've ever seen.
0: Yeah, this is, this is very much uh, a film attempting to sort of tie together what had come before, which I, I thought that was interesting, and that yeah, I do want yeah. to give it credit, because, you know, what happened is, like, I'd seen the, the first three Hellraiser films, um, you know, years ago. I, I saw them in high school, uh, maybe college. And, uh, and then I hadn't seen them until we started doing this. Whereas uh, this whole thing started partly because I got excited to see that you were saying on Facebook that you just discovered there were all nine movies. So I was like, yeah, I did that last year. And so what happened is last year, I sat down and watched them. And I started with four because I was pretty sure I had not seen it. and so i was watching that without having seen the previous ones so a lot of the stuff that really jumped out at me rewatching this the other day did not jump out at, to me as callbacks because i didn't yeah, remember exactly. those little details i didn't realize that oh that is the running theme so it definitely it definitely it's a film that uh rewards having seen the previous ones uh in a way that may be unique to this franchise because the previous ones didn't have as much to go back to and when they went back they mostly went back by literally showing footage from a previous film (laughs) Uh, and the next ones uh, obviously are giant piles of shit that don't have much of anything to do with what has come before so uh, and boy (laughs) am I looking forward (laughs) to it uh, so yeah, this no, one
1: actually, um, instead of reusing footage from previous movies, they reuse about thirty seconds of footage from this movie. Yes,
0: I I, I noted that. I was like, at last, you know, if we aren't going to get a proper, you know, straight up padding, at least we can recycle our own footage in the third act from the first act. So uh, so <laughs> I appreciate that forgotten. they did that. Plus, you know, they probably paid a lot for that robot scene, so they they might as well use it twice. <laughs> uh, a I, I thing uh, I've, I've got a bunch of notes about acting, but I'll I'll I'll, j- I'll wait for some of them until we get a little bit more into what all went down. But uh, one thing I wanted to say, I was struck immediately looking at the guy who plays Le Marchand slash merchant slash merchant. Um, if they had cast Tim Curry, the role would have looked pretty similar, but would have been amazing. Tim Curry could totally pull off this stretch of things. And if there's a sort of physical resemblance there, I think the difference is it might've been hard to get Tim Curry to sign up for this project because it was this project. But, uh,
1: I, uh, I I actually thought he looked like discount Brendan Fraser.
0: I can see that. He's sort of like, you know, in the, in the middle act, in the contemporary, he's definitely got (laughs) Brendan Fraser hair. I, and I feel like, I feel like he's got sort of a Tim Curry, uh, sort of facial structure and maybe a little bit of a Tim Curry mouth. Uh, yeah,
1: he's got, the, he's got the eyes. He's definitely yeah. got the uh,
0: the eyes. I mean, now I'm actually trying to picture this
1: movie. It would be a completely different and considerably better movie with Tim Curry in the lead.
0: One could say that and for then, a lot of movies, of course, but I think in, especially in this case. But if they did
1: that, they'd also have to cast Tim Curry as uh, Pinhead and then have kind of like an Austin Powers thing happening.
0: Uh, nah, I don't think, I don't think yeah. that would work. They could get uh, Richard O'Brien as Pinhead. Just make it a a, a Rocky revival, maybe. <laughs> uh, oh, the Hellraiser musical. Meat uh, Meatloaf as a as a cenobite. That would be. I mean, it really, Rocky Horror Picture Show could be rewritten as uh, a Hellraiser farce. Just change yeah. a few details. I think that. Uh, oh man. Note to self. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> pitch movie to surviving uh people who own both licenses.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about this robot box solving thing though cuz I thought yes. I, I actually I thought this was a nice touch. So what happens is he's he's using he's sitting on a space station and he's using cameras and some remote control power gloves to uh, that, uh do uh, basically sort of like remote control s- Yeah, the well, yes. <laughs> they were not
1: super <laughs> the, no, the, the prop, I mean the prop is like literally an oven mitt. Yeah, it's um, like a chainmail like fabric.
0: Loves. Yeah. But anyway, he's yeah, in there, he's manipulating the box, and, and so like there's the uh, the Terminator-looking robot sitting on the floor in a dark room. And, you know, it's
1: not like it's not Terminator-looking that it kind of resembles, you know, a little bit if you squint. No, it's a
0: fucking Terminator. It, yeah, really. It really looks like someone's knockoff Terminator robot. Uh, and, and and I actually liked this. I liked that it was like, here's a guy who obviously is set at this with a purpose, because he's familiar with the box, he's familiar with the danger of the box, he's obviously trying to... Bring in some centabytes here, but this uh, he is so also. Far the most,
1: most, single most prepared person we have ever seen handle the box. Yeah,
0: he's like, the, the, he is sort of like the mad scientist in the secret government lab, sort of thing, except for in this case, he's gone rogue, I guess. But yeah, so I liked that. I thought that was a nice touch. And then that terrible yeah. CGI sequence uh, made me hate it. Um, but
1: the, uh, the scene with, uh, he's actually, so he's looking at us uh, through a security camera and then, you know, everything goes dark and then Pinhead just steps out of the shadows. And then there's like, you know, the, uh, like the camera crackle, you know, like on old VHS footage where it's just like the tracking goes off for a second. And then he disappears. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was a pretty cool, uh, effect shot. And it was, you know, it was cool because it was cheap and they knew what they were doing yeah. as
0: opposed to, uh, yeah. They, they did there's what they um, could with what was there.
1: Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, so so that happens, then you know the uh, the space Marines break onto the station, he's being interrogated, um, and he mentions that you know, like this isn't the space station, it's the biggest trap in the galaxy. And uh, Rimmer asks him, you know, uh, I, th- I can't remember exactly how he f- she phrased it, but it was something like, you know it's like, what are you trying to catch here?" And then he replies, "Hell is what I'm going to catch." And I think that's the single wittiest line in the entire franchise. <laughs>
0: It was pretty good. It was, and it's nice because it's subtle. He didn't. He didn't really sell. He, you know, he didn't deliver the line like cause he was aware that he was punning. Like you know, he he was really just saying, "No, no, hell is what I'm going to catch." And the fact that oh, I'm going to catch hell was left as an exercise to the viewers. So that was. It was nice. It was uh, <laughs> as a cold open, like yeah. as, as much as I th- I think the framing device that they went with here instead of the straight anthology is probably to the film's detriment overall but as as a cold open to catch on to try and set it up, it wasn't a bad few minutes to start the film with
1: yeah, and i mean they uh they did a really good job with the uh like just to give it a uh space horror feel, which is i mean there was there there weren't a lot of space horror movies before this one i mean there was like the alien franchise um the thing, I guess, counts, because they might as well be on a space station. Sort of. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean,
0: you could make the counter-argument that uh, a lot of space movies are essentially just submarine movies, so...
1: Right, that's true. But, I mean, this is um, just... I mean, it's, it's not... You know, it doesn't rank anywhere near alien or anything, but just, like, as far as, like, making a creepy space station, they did a good job. I think, like, a, like they it was sufficiently creepy and, you know, deserted-looking and um yeah i actually i i really enjoyed the uh the just this the set of the spaceship
0: i did not particularly notice it which is probably to his credit like i don't i don't remember thinking it was bad so i think i i've probably seen enough like space movies at this point that like i'm just like okay i accept that this is a space station let's move on um so anyway they, they so 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 the movie then finally goes back to france um Oh, and I wanted—I was so we we got off on that partly because I wanted to talk about the deleted scene that we haven't actually seen, but that I read a bunch about yesterday, uh, which is uh, a big set piece where Angelique, our French uh, cenobite uh, princess of hell, uh, plays like a gambling game with a bunch of uh, like French libertines, where she's like. Uh, here 's this puzzle box for every move you can get the box to to make i 'll remove a piece of clothing, and so I guess it was a big sort of scene around a uh, a dinner table with it a bunch stripped of French guys Rubik 's cube yeah so they're they 're passionate around and trying to solve the puzzle and she 's uh, taking off uh, a corset and removing some stockings and eventually, I think she ends up uh, just opening up her dress uh, and they 're all oh, ho oh, and there 's you know four French guys sitting around feeling all. Uh, how exciting and titillating and improper! And and then I think maybe her skin like, sort seven of comes or ten off.
1: Pieces of underwear
0: under it. You like know, the, I I I think they may have. I, I, not having seen the scene, I don't know the, how they handled it. But I think she may have <laughs> gone for the abbreviated version so that they could get the the nudity. Um, although there may never have been a proper front shot. There was a, there was a close up shot of her stomach definitely because there was some like stuff moving around underneath. Because what ah. happens is she sort of gets she gets fairly naked. And then I think she sort of starts to transform into her like true demon form and they freak out. And then she sort of horribly mutilates them all and turns them into 18th century French libertine Cenobites. I saw those pictures.
1: They looked really cool.
0: Yeah. So the idea is just so it's like, yes, now you are really playing with the, the thematic nature of your franchise. And so I thought that was a really great idea. And then that's one of the big things that I guess got cut when they cut for the theatrical release, so nobody's actually seen that, uh, which is dumb because I think yeah, that, yeah. that that seems like a real that's like that seems like the classic scene from this film, and it's not even in the film.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's, it's especially like painful I guess considering that the Cenobites in this movie aren't great. Like I mean they at least in the previous one they were just really ridiculous, and in this one it's just, it just they, they they one of them was all right, and then. You know, the the other two were just they there wasn't anything that particularly original about them. Yeah. And uh you know, uh you can actually go online and read the descriptions of all of the uh the different eighteenth uh, century Cenobites and they seemed a lot like a lot more entertaining than the ones that we actually got.
0: Yeah. So so that's 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 a problem. I don't know why yeah. that happened. Uh but what actually happens in the film is that we've got uh lemarchand uh as this sort of eccentric talented puzzle making dupe like he's not an occultist fanatic himself uh which you could have totally gone that way though but no he's actually just some clever toy maker and he's been hired by this uh this creepy duke to to build a box to very specific specifications uh and then he he finishes he's like it's finished and it's like oh is it finished his wife is are you brilliant i'm Oh, the best toy maker in France and then he well, no, his wife was like he he activated it in front of his wife
1: and you know it did like the little thing where it, it like pops up and then twirls about 45 degrees and comes back down and makes it into like a diamond shape and I think she says like oh it doesn't do anything and then he gets mad at her I think it actually Why? did the,
0: the first move it does where it, the, sort of the trapezoidal section comes up and moves over and then moves back and goes back down which you have to admit does look like just about jack shit actually happened I don't <laughs> think it even did the diamond thing for her Um, but yeah, yeah. She was like, Oh, so it doesn't do anything at all. He's like, Oh, what the hell? I, maybe they'll appreciate me over at the freaky Duke's place. Uh,
1: yeah, and I mean like they, they, they don't set up like the relationship between him and his wife. Oh and she's she's pregnant as well with the next Lamar Sean. Um they don't set it up really well, but just like just comparing it to the relationship between Larry and Julia, like there was so much more in, in just in like the introduction to that relationship and the introduction to this relationship just really highlights the difference uh between like the films that it was and the films that it becomes.
0: Yeah. So uh So he heads off to the Duke's place with the box to deliver it, and the Duke is like, "Oh, hey, sure, thanks, okay, goodbye." And he hangs around outside and watches terrible things happening.
1: And the Duke lives in like the single most ominous building in France,
0: (laughs) seriously. And the Duke is the crazy occultist, so we do have we do have a crazy guy who's super into uh, troubling stuff, ordering the box. So that's at least the box didn't just happen on some sort of whim. And the guy who
1: plays him really does a good job of being creepy occult guy. Oh yes. You know, he's balls out like creepy occult guy. It's it's great. Like, I mean, with um Shenard in 2, it's like it's a similar kind of character, but like where Shenard was sort of like subdued, this guy is just, you know, screaming spells and, you know, being like lecherous and it was it was fun to watch him work.
0: Yeah, he was uh, Okay, so this is a whole thing. Okay, so I was watching that 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 that, that first scene with the Duke really hammering up and starting to get into the the occult stuff and the uh, spectate and, and and I found a flirting with actually. Angelina, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's doing that, and I'm watching this guy. was like this guy really feels familiar, and and I was thinking maybe is is it possible that this is Andrew Robinson? Because this guy is hamming and and sort of chewing the scenery and living it up is really reminding me of Garrick from Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah. And so I looked it up, and it turns out, no, it's not Andrew Robinson. It's a guy named Mickey uh, Cotrell who, uh, who has done a bunch of little bits of acting. Uh, among his credits uh, is Dead Man in the Jacuzzi in the John Cameron Mitchell film Shortbus. Bus. Uh, hmm. But he's also like a publicist. I think he's done like more publicity work than he has acting, and he's acted in like a, a couple dozen things. Uh, he's, but he's also been on Star Trek a couple times. He was on Star Trek – uh, on uh, next generation, at one point in the episode that had Fomke Jensen in it as a Dream Woman, and uh, oh, okay, and also some I'm little bit to- in an episode of Voyager. Um, I, I think they were both smallish parts, but I uh, I haven't gone back and actually looked at the episodes. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, well then then I, I guess I'm uh, I'm up to nothing. Uh, but then I'm I'm because uh, then I'm looking at Admiral Robinson, the guy who played Garrick thing and Andrew Robinson played Larry Cotton. Jesus Christ! Larry Cotton was Garrick! Holy shit! I know, right? Wow. Wow. Yeah, it occurred to me at that point that I had never seen him, as far as I know, out of Garrick makeup. Like, if he doesn't look like a Cardassian, I don't quite know it's him. Plus, Garrick was so much better of a character than Larry Cotton. (laughs) Like, Garrick's a ton of fun! And Larry was just sort of like, you know, Knight of the Paper Hats aside, you know, not really much to chew on there so I never it never even occurred to me but oh my god it's, it's and yeah, I found now I have
1: to go back and watch it and just having that in mind because wow that's huh
0: and that now we know what Larry did for a living he's just a plain <laughs> simple tailor um, <laughs> but I actually I, I was I, I was weird enough weirded enough out by this weirdness that I, I, I googled both their names and a little bit of comparison made it clear that it's not some crazy board stunt by one guy to be two different people. They're they're definitely different people. But I did find a blogger who was cl- like asserting outright that no, the guy in the Voyager episode Raven, Mickey Coe, no way, it's Andrew Robinson or that make Maker. That's obvious. Does nobody else see this? So I felt vindicated that someone else was at least getting the same weird, spooky feeling. Even though I think that person's uh, either making a subtle joke or crazy. Um. So, yeah.
1: Call them big. Little can call them, them big. Yeah.
0: And so it was, a, it was a very exciting moment for me when I found that. I just, like, I, I lost my shit. I was like, oh, my God. And then I didn't uh, IM you about it because I figured it would be more fun to lose my shit, like, with you on the podcast. So <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that
1: oh. that was – I'm glad you held off. that. That's an awesome revelation.
0: So, yeah. Anyway, <sighs> Andrew Robinson's not in this movie, though, so <laughs> – Let's go back back and watch the first one, yes. We'll assume that it was an intentional back reference to Larry Cotton through the the miracle of uh, look-alike acting. Uh, Wheels within wheels. Are we being credulous again? Yes, we're being super credulous. Uh, (laughs) So there's the Duke, and then there's the system Jacques, played by Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation. Uh, And I want to assume that Adam Scott's character in Parks and Rec is actually a direct descendant in, in the spirit of bloodlines of this Jacques guy from, from, from Hellraiser 4. And that whole being a mayor at 18 thing is just part of a family history of bad decisions around, you know, <laughs> striving for power. Is, is maybe he's like, the
1: ma- maybe, you know, it'll turn out he's like the mayor on Buffy.
0: Oh, that could work. Uh, so we've got, we've got the Duke, we've got Jacques, and then we've got uh, Angelique... Uh, who is some girl that she's, Jacques pulls in off the street, apparently. And she was also the girl. She's credited
1: in, as peasant girl.
0: It, 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 okay. She was also uh, the peasant girl in the Name of the Rose film. Oh, so, yes. She's oh. Obviously, was playing to a type and apparently she's trilingual. She doesn't have a big Wikipedia entry, but I I read it yesterday. Uh so she, she they bring her in, they give her some food. It's basically a ha ha we're rich French libertines and hey, you want to have some fun and uh you know, maybe eat a bunch of really good food and so she's eating food and the the duke pulls a scarf from behind her ear and turns it into two scarves and ties her up so she won't bruise. Uh, and she's like, yeah, "Well, that's, what's that?" And, uh,
1: she doesn't react to that at all. Yeah. Like, you know, she's not she's not freaked out, but she's also not titillated by it. I, I, I have a feeling she might have, maybe she was deaf.
0: I don't think she was deaf. I think she was just like saying, okay, well, this is a weird gig, but I'll run with it. I feel like she was just sort of like playing a little closer to the vest to play along with what looked like it might be a, a decent uh, bit of presumed, uh, you know, woman of the night-ism. That's a phrase, right? Woman of the night-ism. Yeah, why not? Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like her character was like, I don't really know what's going on, but this is a real good-looking spread, and I can put up with a weird old guy uh, and whatever if, if it means a, a good night. Maybe with? Paid. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, but then it turns out they just want to strangle her to death and steal her skin and fill it with a demon from hell through and a um, cult ritual.
1: Yeah, Jacques uh, garrets her, and, you know, he's, like, holding her steady. And uh, uh, Duke Lyle, um, that, uh, yeah, it's Lyle, is it Lyle, eel I forget, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, and I don't remember yeah. how it's pronounced. Duke anyway, the, the
0: Isle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so he says, um, you know, careful, keep the pressure steady, at which point Jacques breaks her neck. <laughs> That's the opposite.
0: <laughs> it really, yeah, didn't, uh, I, I, I don't feel like Jacques really a good handle on this. I like I like the fact that they had this student master thing going on. Though obviously the Duke was like the experienced occultist. Jacques was his apprentice. Jacques was being taught. You know, he makes reference to remember your lessons later. Uh, you know, there, there's this whole you know Jedi and Padawan thing going on, except for you know with the dark arts. I think it would
1: be funny if there's just like a deleted scene with the Duke like walking into shock and there's just like, you know, a parade of phalluses like the brooms from (laughs) Sorcerer's Apprentice. (laughs) It got out of hand.
0: Oh, and, and so, anyway, uh, as she starts to realize something's up, uh, we see that the food's not actually awesome food. It's covered in maggots and whatnot. It's, it's, it's a trick. And a few
1: caterpillars, which was weird. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I just found there's, what there's, bugs they like, could, know, It's
1: like, you know, sorts of all sorts of, you know, gross insects, maggots, and flies. And there's just, like, a couple of, like, fuzzy green caterpillars thrown in there for
0: good measure. It was, yeah. I'm not sure what the deal was. And then there's chains on the ceiling. But i want to say, there's chains on the ceiling. This is very cult callbacky to Hellraiser. aesthetic, yeah. But this guy wasn't like, you know, in league with hell yet or anything. So I think these were just terrestrial chains he kept around. Like he was just into like hanging people from stuff, which obviously we see they were planning to do that shortly later in the scene. Uh, maybe he was
1: inspired in the same way that merchant was inspired to use the, uh, the design of the, con- of the, uh, of the box and in, in his architecture.
0: Oh, maybe he tapped some, some little vein of hell and, and sort of took cues from that. And yeah. He didn't know what he's doing. That, that could be there's also a, there's a brief shot of like operating tools that they're going to use on her, uh, yeah. which I felt uh, like that. Is that a callback to three? Are they finally oh,
1: explaining the, the two the, and three, I think. Cause the one and three was a callback to two.
0: I don't remember the operating tools in two.
1: Well, uh, when Chenard was operating. Oh,
0: uh, oh, yeah, I guess so. I, I, I don't, was there a lingering shot of the tools in there? Um, in two, there was, was either a sort of lingering a shot, shot, or there was a shot of him putting them down after using them, and they were bloody. Ah, uh, uh, that, that that sounds right. Well, yeah. anyway, yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, we've got a nice callback there. I really liked. I actually liked what they did with this dismemberment and murder sequence. Uh, they, they they didn't do a lot of straight-up shots of gore. They mostly used shadows on the wall, and yeah. a lot of obfuscation, perspective shots of Jacques and uh, the Duke. And uh, and yeah, I, th- I thought that actually worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they did a good job with that. Yeah. Uh, and they,
1: uh, they, they flayed her, which is, you know, this is our first shot of somebody skinless in the movie.
0: Yes, so we've got that, which is obviously an important element at this point in the Hellraiser movies. And of course, they're stealing skin, So, and this is sort of nicely bookending with the end of the film. We've got preparation. Like it's in the previous films, it's always been, oh, I need some bodies so I can get some skin. Uh, Let's figure this out, but let's keep it on DL because I'm a monster in a house or something. Uh, Whereas this one, no, you actually had preparation up front. The dude was like, you know what I'm going to need? I'm going to need someone's skin to stick a demon inside. Uh, and at the end and of the film suspended
1: with a bunch of hooks,
0: Yes, which seems, uh, we don't want to bruise you tearing through your flesh. Okay. But, <laughs> but bruising you, that'd be a problem. But then the end of the film, uh, future Dr. Merchant is planning ahead as well. So like there's this, this sense of preparation among these characters. This is what it looks like when someone's actually doing their homework ahead of time instead of just bumbling into Cenobites. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I liked, and I liked I was going to say, I like uh, the explicit reference to the rules, but I sort of mentioned that already. But the, there's this yeah. very explicit, a summoned demon is yours to command unless you stand in hell's way, which obviously becomes a, a thing. Yeah,
1: they put a lot of faith into what is a pretty vague regulation. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, no, we got this. Don't stand in hell's way. That's That makes really perfect sense. It's like, <laughs> yeah... And then you know you discover that oh you're standing in the doorway while Angelique's trying to walk through and now the world's going to hell because of that.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem a bit uh, bit hazy. Yeah. Oh, and there was uh, a, another callback. There was a little bit of self mouth touching by Angelique after she's been summoned. She's, oh yeah. she's got some blood and she's sort of rubbing the blood that's yeah. on her lips with her fingers because you got to stick a finger in a mouth.
1: It's Hellraiser. You can't. I mean, you can't not exactly. <laughs> They'll, they'll fake it and edit it in if you don't put it in, so you might as well do it yourself. Um, oh, so to get her, to summon her, um, the Duke casts a spell, which involves just two phrases, spectari noviculus suavis and spectari Ordeum suavis, and he just chants this over and over again, and it's actually a really cool-looking scene. Um, you know, the floor starts splitting open, and there's this, like, and he's, um, he's like, a f- Old French noble, so he's got like this this wig and this like crazy clothing and like the 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 pancake white makeup. Yeah, the and you face. see him with like yeah, he's with like his hands up in the air, like and there's and all, blue this, lightning all this all this blood up
0: on his white blouse. It's 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 actually yeah. it looks good.
1: And um, so I looked up what the spell means, and um, so spectari noviculus Suavish um, so spectari means show or like spectacle. Noviculus means new or novel or strange, and suavis means to recommend or like implore. So I mean you know show strange new implore you to. It's it's kind of like a summoning spell that makes sense. Ordeum means barley. <laughs> I, I say show
0: yourself and we'll get drunk. That's yeah, you know they're gonna. He's summoning someone to help him I'm with the Maybe brew. if
1: they they mixed it up with ordo or something, but um,
0: I would yeah. not be shocked if the Latin was a little bit dodgy in this movie. Uh, maybe maybe we can ask Metafilter and people can throw it into Google Translate and uh, tell us what it means. Uh, <laughs> oh, and when the floor breaks open, it breaks open in
1: a way that looks like just directly under the tile. There's like flesh which uh is like the um the the wall that breaks open and there's like you know all sorts of viscera behind it in the uh
0: the second movie. Yeah, it's uh like a membrane just below the surface of what we think yeah. is the world, you know, once you start to open the gate to hell. Uh it was just kind of a nice touch.
1: And then, um, so Angelique, you know, like uh, fills out the skin, but then they use a growling noise, like, you know, like a, like a, like almost like a big cat, like a puma or something, a growling noise instead of a baby crying. And, you know, I, I think the baby crying was scarier.
0: Yeah, I, I, and, you know, there's there's a little bit of a child crying out late in the film, too, but I didn't notice any actual baby crying, which is a shame because, like, you actually have a pregnant woman in the first act yeah. who's going to give birth to, you know, an important member of the bloodline. So, I yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. I think, I think the baby would have been both more consistent and more unsettling. Yeah. Because it's like a growling noise, whatever. We all know that scary things growl, you know. So, yeah. Bad and then, movie, for. Um, 4. Yeah.
1: And then just so I think Le Marchand like sort of escapes after that or he runs away because yeah, yeah, I think was, he's been looking at this. Yeah, he was
0: just peeping. So he runs off and he tries to explain this to uh, his buddy who gives him a lecture about rationality and how, you know, the non-existence of hell is a necessary, you know – Conclusion it's basically
1: from- French Van Helsing. Like it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's you know the guy. I think he's supposed to be like a physician scientist because he's performing like a circa 18th century autopsy with you know these all these crazy like medical devices, like the thing that he puts like this wooden and metal vice, but it's like a reverse vice because it's meant to like splay the uh, chest cavity open. Yeah. And, you know, that was a pretty cool effects shot. It's it's, it's in the same vein as the surgery from the second one where they are like, you know, not all the scary stuff has to be, you know, not all the gory stuff rather has to be supernatural. Here's some, you know, run-of-the-mill gory stuff. Yeah. And I actually, I wanted to, I wanted that guy to stick around in the movie because well, he was he pretty –
0: yeah. He was in more of the original draft apparently. That was another thing that got cut is like ah. there was sort of this this, this involvement with uh, Le Marchand and this guy and he sort of goes to this father figure dude. He's like, oh, I saw this crazy shit and it's terrible and I don't know what to do. And the guy's like, hey, rationality is what we get in the film. He's like, oh, no, no. There's, there is no hell because there is no God. Rationality is, you know, has, has. – We even
1: got rid of God. That was the line.
0: Yeah. So so I think in the original uh, intention of the film, this character would then actually try and, he would become a bit credulous about things going on and then try and warn someone or try and, I think he's the one who encouraged Le Marchand to build the, the Elysian configuration, the trap that would undo the box and undo hell. Uh, but then he gets murdered by the Cenobite French clowns that Angelique made in the gambling scene that got cut. So like there was a whole thing there where like he sort of, spouts about rationality but then starts to realize that there is a danger here but then he's murdered before he can take action uh, that was completely cut from so we just get this one scene with him saying oh no God's dead uh, <laughs> now an <it's> autopsy <laughs> Whoa, yeah
1: yeah and then um, and then that's oh yeah and then uh, so you know Lamar uh, Lamar Chan's like terrified the end loosely you know terror on the world and that guy tells him you know it's like you built a device to uh, let him out why don't you build a device to catch them And the next thing you see is he's sitting at, like, a drafting table um, with, like, an exploded view of a cube with, like, designs on it. You know, like the Lament configuration, but this is, like you said, the Elysium configuration. And inside is just what looks like a tribal tattoo. It's it's the least convincing set of blueprints I have ever seen. Because it's it's supposed to capture light somehow, but it's just a bunch of swirls on the inside. And he's working really hard at it um and that's also it's you know like this is what's passed on to john merchant in the 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 present and it's it's not a very good series of blueprints unless you're you know uh into optics i guess yeah i was really bothered by
0: that like like if if they had somehow managed to say no no see it's like a lorenz attractor it's a you know chaotic uh strange attractor sort of thing but there was no attempt to tie it in it was just like hey this squiggle looks pretty awesome uh so yeah, yeah,
1: and like the whole time, the only thing that merchants complained is like, I can't get the light right, or you know, like I can't get the light to go in the correct manner. It's it's just you know they they really just don't even try to explain any of it, which yeah. is a little uh, you know, throw some yeah, like I said, you know, throw some random words from a quantum physics textbook in there, and it's
0: not that hard. Yep. But then um, uh, so he, he so he ends up going back to the duke's place, and the the duke is dead or nearly so. I think he grabs him at one point. Yeah. And Angelique's getting it on with uh, with Jacques, Jacques, Adam Scott, uh, and uh, then she. Well, the
1: the, the 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 implication there being that like Jacques betrayed uh, the Duke, and they both killed him, and now uh,
0: Angelique is, is under Jacques' command. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so he goes back there. She can Angelique confronts him and basically uh, kind of implies she's going to like cut his fingers off. With such nimble fingers. Yeah. Um, and and then he he he's dying and his wife uh co- had come looking for him and he tells her to get away and you know the bloodline must continue and she runs off and that's that's it for the past and it's kind of a blah ending for the past yeah it's
1: uh yeah it really was oh also um in the scene where he's uh you know so he uh Mershan sneaks in there and then the first thing he sees is the duke who's dead but then it turns out he's not dead he grabs his arm but then he dies there's um Blood splattered all over the walls in a way that's kind of reminiscent of uh, Julia's nail polish from the first one. <laughs> uh, but I think at this point, I might just be looking for things Maybe. to tie to it. Um,
0: but who could judge yeah. us for that? Yeah.
1: And I have to say, the music in this whole movie was just the most... Like stereotypically, like traditional horror movie music. Like there was nothing original about it whatsoever.
0: It was. It was was interesting. It was was like it fit just fine, but it was like there was nothing. There was also a notable lack of KMFDM. I want to say no KMFDM (laughs) at all in the entire movie. Not even the future. Like the Doctor in the future wasn't like I will complete my masterpiece, but now I must rock out or anything. You know, it was just all just all orchestral. Yep, and not even Danny Elfman anymore. Nope. It's just, yeah. Mm.
1: But what do you do? Uh, yep. Let's see. Um, okay, and then it goes back to space briefly. And um, I think uh, Paul Merchant, the future Merchant, um, he says, uh, like, the same way they've walked the past, they're now walking the station. And the only thing I could think of was slowly. Because, <laughs> cause, I mean, yeah, they, they at, at no point do any of the... Cenobites ever go like beyond like a casual walking pace anywhere
0: um, yeah <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I think we can write some of that off to the shitty post hoc narrative framing device that yeah. uh, wasn't their A game on the, the script writing for those sequences so so modern day I want to talk a little bit we're introduced to John Merchant the contemporary Merchant uh, who's the architect as previously discussed and he's got a family including a wife named Bobby with an eye. No idea if she's, yeah. Are they related? I don't know. Uh, But this is, she's actually played by a woman named Kim Myers who's been in a bunch of stuff. And she's sort of like a Meryl Streep lookalike, if, you know, know, much younger. Um, Notably, she was the female lead in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. So horror Uh pedigree. She was, you know.
1: Was that the really gay one? Was it two that was the really gay one or three?
0: Uh,. Did you ever did you ever see that like the, I've, seen, the, that I've video? seen all of them. You'll have to No no have
1: you ever seen that there there's a video where they just like go through all of like the, the gay subtext in uh mm-hmm. in either two or three and it's just when you have somebody walking through you, it through you, it's really, really obvious. Um and I'm then gonna they're g- just like oh yeah, the writer was gay. And it's like okay. I'm gonna guess Ad- it was two because
0: yeah. I feel like I remember I, I remember three better. And, and you could probably find stuff in there, but I don't remember anything that stands out of that. So maybe two, which I haven't seen in a while. Um, and, and more to the point did not see when I was seven years old and at a day camp. Um, oh, yeah. so three, I remember really well as it turns out, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so his wife is, his wife is Bobby and then he's got a son, it was a little kid uh, played by a uh, kid named Cortland Mead, who seems to have had a classic child actor arc. Like he started acting in '91 as a very young child. He was his credits end in like 2003. Uh, so yeah, he sort of like he worked as a kid, and I think he stopped working once he stopped being a kid. Uh, yeah, but he was in a like bunch a of f- stuff. He played Danny Torrance in the the TV miniseries version of The Shining.
1: Oh, I remember um, that.
0: He also played Lloyd in Space. He played Lloyd. Uh, he played Gus Griswold
1: in recess i 've seen far too much of that show <laughs> than
0: i should admit um his i m d b photo looks a little bit like uh Laura Palmer too in a weird way he 's got like the same weird is he
1: dead wrapped in plastic
0: no 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 no. <laughs> like, i can 't say <laughs> oh, for sure he 's not but he 's got he 's got the same like weird smile like yeah, it's, I'm it's, actually i at I kind of right want to side by side it's... those now yeah. um, <laughs> yes, anyway. <laughs> That'll so be that's, that's, that's the family. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely need to put that up there. Uh, and I had forgotten. So, so we're introduced to the family and blah, blah, blah. He's, he's a, he's got a family and you know, obviously that'll end well. Uh, but then we cut back to Angelique and Adam Scott and I had forgotten. I, I thought that she was like going to murder Adam Scott in the first act. I'd forgotten that he gets yeah. to live for like 200 years and be a total <laughs> contemporary douchebag.
1: Yeah, that, that was weird, because they never explain why he's living so long. Like, you know, demon powers. Yeah. Sure, why not? It was like, hey, I, I command you to make me last forever. Okay. I just want to mention, before they cut to the scene with uh, Jacques and Angelique, um, so Le Marchand, he's having a nightmare. I mean, not Le Marchand, Merchant. John Merchant, he's having a nightmare, and then, like, you know, he wakes up, and then his wife is like, you know, it's the, a... The, 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 and you know it's like this is all your grandmother's fault her always telling you how important you are and you know like how you're gonna go on to do great things it's like damn grandma and instilling him with a sense of self esteem look at what that did nightmares nothing but nightmares
0: you gotta break that shit down wife you gotta be like hey you know what you're nobody you don't fucking (laughs) matter I'm super proud of you and I love you and also you're completely unimportant shit and history will forget you uh, it was just
1: weird that she didn't reference like any of like the occult stuff. It was just the fact that her grandmother, you know, made him feel so special that that was yeah, the problem. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Then it cut to Jacques <laughs> and Angelique. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this scene with Jacques and Angelique, it's got that split focus lens thing. And if you go about yes, uh, that, 27 okay, minutes so that, in.
1: That that was it, right? That That's what it looked like. Yeah. That, I, I was watching that. And I'm just like, okay, something weird is happening with the camera because both of those things can't be in focus. Exactly. At the same time. Yeah, and what happened was um, on, on the left side of the screen, there's, like, a glass of bourbon, and on the right side of the screen is, like, Jacques in the background, but they're both in the same focus, and they're both the same height, and then Angelique just puts out a cigarette into the uh, into the bourbon, and the cigarette's white, and, you know, Jacques is, like, standing in the background, he's wearing, like, a white suit, so it was a pretty cool shot. It was, like, I feel like it was the only shot in the movie that was composed. Yeah. It felt i feel like the rest of them they're just like i hey, just
0: put the camera over there well and there were there are a couple of things there there was a reaching into the foreground for a phone scene later with uh contemporary jean merchant um didn't use a funny angle just due to focus pull but still it was that like reaching towards the camera thing that we saw a couple of times in the three in particular um but I just, uh, I that, just that's saw
1: a 3d movie yesterday so now i'm gonna be Watching for like things that should have been three d but weren't in every
0: movie from now on <laughs> well, and there's so many there's there's so many weird implications of contemporary three d filmmaking where you lose some of the flexibility you have with a two d image because all of a sudden focus and depth get tied together in a in a very complicated and problematic way. Uh, it's harder to deal with soft focus in three d because you can't focus on something in soft focus in the same way that our eyes expect to. You know, we, when we, when we we put our focal attention on an object at a given depth, we tend to also put our uh, focus at that depth. So if you change from looking at something nearby to looking at something far away, your field of focus is also going to change. You're going to instinctively, you know, expect the thing that your focus is on to be, you know, the thing that your attention is on to be in focus. Right. And with a 3d picture, you have the ability to focus any depth in on any depth in the image, even though the camera will probably try and lead you to look at specific things. Uh, the camera, if it's going to have something in the foreground in tight focus and something in the background blurry, but you choose to look at the background, you're going to be focusing your eye muscles uh, at that object in the background, training them on that level of the 3D image, but your focus won't manage to resolve it. And that's going to be a weird I, – I would say it already is, but I, I think as people continue to play with this 3D format, it's going to be yeah. a weird part of the adaptation of visual language to figure out how to not just make people subtly unhappy with your, your film image because you're defying their muscular yeah. expectations. But that's and then a big using it as an effect
1: topic. to alienate people. Yes.
0: Well, yeah. I think it could be used yeah. intentionally in interesting ways. But I feel like at this point, people are just doing things wrong. That's a whole huge yeah. discussion <laughs> to have. Sometime we should go see something in 3D and then talk about it. But. uh well, I wanted to say about the split-focus thing, one other thing about it that's kind of neat. If you go and look at it, if, and this is about 27, 27 and a half minutes in the, in the film. It's the, yeah, the shot with the, the tumbler in the foreground and Adam Scott in the background. But there's right dead center in the frame, uh, like electrical candelabra with like four candles in it. And yeah. if you look at the scene, you can see that there's this half-moon bokeh from the uh, from the candles, the bokeh, B-O-K-E-H, the, uh, the sort of blurry circle you get when a light is out of focus, like a light in the distance is out of focus in a, uh, a, a picture or a, a film uh, because the, so, so you get the sort of like big round blurry circles um, and it's a half moon because it's blurry on the left side of the split lens because the foreground's what's in focus, but it's, totally not blurry in the background on the right side because it's focused at that level. It's it's a neat thing. I'll try and get a screen cap, but uh it's a it's a dead giveaway that they're using a split focus even if nothing else was obviously impossible about that shot.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely that'll that'll be on the blog. Ha.
0: Um oh. <laughs> we're so proud of ourselves. We are. Uh, <laughs> well, we're doing a terrific job, honestly. <laughs> we Can we we just talk
1: about how great of a job we're doing for the next half hour? I I didn't want to
0: say anything, but I really feel like we're tremendous human (laughs) beings. So, uh, you know, I'm just just letting it out there. Uh, (laughs) So one thing I wanted to say, uh, there's 700 things I want to say, and I'm going to introduce each of them by saying one thing. Uh, But the thing I am saying now, uh, there's the scene where John Merchant is giving uh, a little speech, accepting an award in his creepy building uh, from his peers and he's doing the talking it's to the mic really and getting feedback. Building. It is. We should talk about that.
1: I, I, I actually I call it spook central in my notes like in <laughs> But it does
0: the mic like he's talking to the mic and he's obviously supposed to be a little bit awkward and not a great speaker, maybe a little nervous, but then you've got the mic feedback. And I feel like using mic feedback to suggest awkwardness in speaking, I understand that it works as a shorthand, but it's also a little bit lazy it'd be nice if you could get onto the awkwardness with the writing and the acting, you know, and just really sell it that way. And then you don't even need to do the dumb mic feedback thing. You can just be, oh, that's that's awkward. So that's a that's a little bit of cinema that bears looking the, at in aggregate sometime.
1: The mic feedback is supposed to be, it's like, oh, this on top of everything else about how bad this is going and yeah. not necessarily like something that they screwed up. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it would have been a little more uh, believable, especially considering how... Much he's like, you know, acting with an exclamation mark later that you'd think he'd be able to give a speech.
0: <laughs> yeah. But whatever. He's not acting later. He's just emoting in character, right? <laughs> you know, it's not a put on. So, uh, gosh. Yeah, the building. So this is the building that we saw a glance of the lobby of, presumably, at the end of Hellraiser 3, after after uh, Jadzia Dax thrusts the uh, the box into the wet cement at the construction site. It it fades over to a tall building with a creepy sculpture out front. And we go inside, and there's a lobby with Lamar Shawn's box appliques all over the the wall. And so this is presumably that building, although I don't think we ever see that shot of this building. Uh,
1: oh, we don't see. I mean, we see an internal shot where we see it like across like the top of the like the top of the walls, like closer to the ceiling. But in this one, like the designs are closer to ground level, and they've all yes. got moving parts, which. That, that seems like it's going to require a lot of upkeep on 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 behalf of the building,
0: probably so, and I want to discuss that specifically, the moving parts, so there's like elements of like the the applique design of the Le Marchand's box uh, on the wall, like like uh, things that sort of suggest the look of it in minimalist parts and and some gears and some metal uh cutout pieces. He's given his speech, his nervous speech, blah 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 blah, blah you know, mic feedback and you can see the stuff on the walls in the room where they're giving it, but none of it's moving. Then he sees Angelique, and there's a weird head trip. Uh, and he's having sudden racial memories of Angelique, you know, flashbacks to the French stuff. And then after that, the, the shitty clockwork stuff's all moving. Oh, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't notice that they went from not moving to moving. Yeah, and no one in, no one in the scene did either, so I almost kind of wonder if it's just a continuity problem. Like, they couldn't get it working when they first shot parts of that, but then they did later. Or if that's intentionally supposed to be some sort of, like, my god, the box of time is opening. Uh, hmm. Or something. I don't know. But I I, I was like, wait, is that was that shit moving before?" And I went back, and no, it wasn't. So, there you go. Hmm. Just a little thing. Yeah, that that makes... Um, yeah, it actually
1: reminds me of um, the Grant Morrison comic, The Filth, where um, this was actually pointed out to me by a friend of mine who read it, where Every time like there's a scene where like something weird is happening, like the uh his wallpaper starts getting all trippy instead of you know being plain, and I didn't notice that and I, I feel like that might be like sort of the same kind of effect that they're going for, or maybe they just forgot to turn on the background while they were doing the speech and didn't want to record it again.
0: yeah, I really kind of wonder because it's a subtle thing it's actually clever, but I don't know <laughs> if it was subtle or just you know an error, yeah. Especially since, like, the, the nature of the moving stuff in there never really comes back. I mean, maybe stuff starts moving once mm-hmm. he activates things, but there's, like, no reference specifically yeah. to it. So it's like, yeah, it just didn't really... It,
1: it definitely looked like it was just, like, a decorative aspect of it. Um, which makes it an incredibly impractical uh, <laughs> design design feature. I mean, he's a fantastic architect, but damn, is he expensive. Yep.
0: Um, the next major thing we have is Angelique uh, goes off and finds some random dude and pulls the bumping into him, dropping her purse and being like, "Oh, my purse!" sort of thing. Although she actually goes <laughs> with a, "Oh, you son of a!" She's she's super rude yeah. and then apologetic, which seems like a a weird gamble, but maybe it's a pickup artist thing because that's totally what she's doing. She's totally she seducing some him. random dude. And I didn't understand why at first, because like, what does she need him for? She leads him down into a basement. And once again, we're calling back to women leading men to strange places with promises of sex while they actually want to do something cenobitical.
1: Yeah, she's definitely like pulling a Julia here. Although I have
0: to say, Julia
1: was a lot smoother at this. (laughs) Or at least like the guys. I mean, this guy was just like ready to go from like the moment this woman started paying attention. He's like, hey, would you like to go? Yes. Yes, I would. Let's go. Now.
0: This really this, – this did seem like a penthouse letter gone very, very badly because like it was like, oh, man, and then it's beautiful day. I wouldn't have thought it. But then we went down to the basement and she said, let's play a game. And I took my shirt off and oh, oh. And, uh, so when she meets him, he's like holding
1: up business cards against the light. I have no idea. He's doing something <laughs> weird and I can't figure out what it was. I
0: did not notice that at all. Oh, Oh, man he
1: was like trying to examine the business cards like in such a way that like he was like squinting at them and holding them to, I, I don't know anyway so yeah, uh, no, yeah so he's like, was like well time. I'm gonna go
0: have some sex in the basement with this lady but in the meantime I should uh, check out some of these business cards I got earlier when I was glad handing yeah it's a good night for me <laughs> Tom's having a good night <laughs> So she takes him down to the basement and uh, let's time to play another game and it turns out that game is take off your shirt sit on the ground and try and solve this puzzle box which apparently he was just down with. He was like, "Yeah, this is pretty and hot." It's also
1: apparently like it's I I I believe that basement doubles as a sauna cuz he is drenched in sweat. Like I think, he is like a shiny, shiny man after he takes off his shirt.
0: I think he's just. I'm wondering excited. if that's like the
1: studio lights, he's, or he's, if that was supposed to be him being nervous, the,
0: or the fervor of the box. I think I think this guy was just this guy was actually physically enjoying life at all times. This guy is sort of an <laughs> antithesis to uh, some of the characters we see in this franchise. I've got a whole I've got a whole thing about that. We'll get uh, to, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, he was, he was, like you say, he was just ready to go. I think he was just, he was looking in for, for adventure, and he was getting it in spades until he, uh, got eaten up by hell and was never heard from again. Which is weird because he remember when, um, what was her name,
1: Tiffany, in the second movie, opened the box and Cenobites are like, oh, you're not the one who actually needs this thing open, bye. Um And this time, you know like uh the 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 sweaty guy you know dies, even though it was Angelique who needed the box open, so I feel like their rules are a little inconsistent regarding as to what happens when somebody else wants you to open the
0: box. I, I feel like that one yeah, that would have gone a little bit rough on appeal i i I would be willing to speculate that this guy was maybe also actually sort of thinking some 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 dirty pain and pleasure thoughts or something like maybe he was like into stuff enough as an active participant in the idea of hedonism that that counted whereas tiffany was clearly just like being an autistic savant solving a box for the sake of literally Mm. solving the box not because she felt some urge within it to open it and unlock its secrets so maybe maybe there's that but i i kind of agree yeah which seems mean why blow up a robot the robot ah that that seemed petulant but yeah i I feel like I feel like you're right, it feels a little inconsistent. it feels like they're sort of like, but I mean we've got the a, a princess of hell summoning up uh one of the honchos in the current organization. I feel between them they probably were just like, you know let's not let's not stress the paperwork on this and they just <laughs> sort of like tacitly agreed, okay, let's get this guy out of here because he's not gonna to shut up. I don't want to torture him right now. We'll just chain him off into hell and and there we go and and then they could get on with uh, their little reunion and, and some exposition
1: and he he kn- oh and, oh and she um right before he uh, sweaty guy unlocks the box she says i have such sights to show you
0: yeah yeah there was there's a bunch of little references I, mm. I, I i didn't even get all of them typed down but yeah she's definitely got uh, she's got some lines that call back pinhead certainly calls back some okay so and, I'm, uh, pinhead knows her as angelique yeah. Which is weird because
1: who gave her that name? Was it just like was it just because she was summoned in France? They sent a French demon up there, or because I mean, who who is it that calls her Angelique? Because as far as I can tell, they've been stuck on Earth since they were summoned. Yeah, I mean, been, she's like, been stuck on Earth since they summoned her, and Jacques is for some reason still alive to to watch her. I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And and yeah, but yeah, Pinhead like immediately knows exactly who she is, and he knows her as Angelique, which is weird.
0: Yeah I, I have no explanation for the Angelique thing except for maybe the argument that uh the fact that French exists uh is a reflection of some underlying material of the universe and so she's sort of like a a a, a French totem or a a a French source of uh existential material and so so of course <laughs> she's Angelique because France France is Angelique you know in some Complicated sense, but I don't really. Have, I don't have a thorough argument there, but it ties into something else. I, I, I I'll talk about it in yeah, more detail. Whatever
1: argument you have is now more thorough than the one that you know the scriptwriters did. So we <laughs>
0: really should be writing some of these down. Uh, but the, here's the big important thing that happens in the scene: is Pinhead waltzes in. That will all open up, and Pinhead wanders in. Angelique's essentially summoned Pinhead, and yeah. Pinhead. We got to talk about this. Pin, we we learned in Hellraiser three that the Pinhead we saw in most of that movie was loose cannon pinhead who was different from the pinhead in one and two in one and two it was like a stodgy uh uh sort of order minded pinhead in three he was sort of resurrected as a demon separate from elliot spencer the human he was sort of built out of and he's like running amok and at the end of that movie we had the scene where elliot sort of synthesized himself with loose cannon hell pinhead right uh and then it seems like uh, Crazy Pinhead had won that particular little fight there, because then he's like, "Oh, now let's get back to torturing you, Jazzy!" Ah, ha ha ha! Uh, before Elliot then asserted himself to yell out of Pinhead's face to send him back to hell. Right. Um, so I am trying to I'm trying to figure out what I think this Pinhead is because is this is this basically the same Pinhead from one and two, and that dalliance is gone, or is this some sort of new iteration? Of whatever happens after uh, Elliot and crazy Pinhead resynthesize, because it's been a few years, obviously. There was time to yeah. build a building at least. Um, I think um I think it's 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 like a new new ish pinhead where you
1: know the the getting split apart and brought back together changed them. and I think that there's also a different um impetus in this because he's because this is the, you know this movie is like about pinhead's like personal matters it's not like you know some asshole summons him out of the box and now we got to deal with it this is like the guy that you know you know, the bloodline that is responsible for Pinhead even showing up here in the first place. Right. So I, I think like his attitude towards the whole the whole thing is, is is different just because it's personal for him now.
0: Yeah, and he's got he's got a connection that falls between old France Le Marchand and contemporary merchant where he yeah. got drawn in by the box in between those bits of the bloodline. So yeah, he's got, yeah. I don't know if the grudge exactly, but he's, yeah, he's like you say, he's got, it's, it's a personal connection. It's meaningful for him to confront this guy who created the gateway that, uh, ultimately made him a part of this whole hellscape. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. And I, I don't feel like the movie really even sneezed at that, which could be as much as anything, the movie declining to spend a lot of time talking about Hellraiser three. Uh, because why would you want it's to? It's completely but, irrelevant. Yeah, but 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 yeah, at the I same mean, time,
1: you could watch one, two, four, and skip three and miss nothing.
0: Yeah, I think I think you basically could, and it probably makes a better, more coherent story. But it does rob us of the ability to overthink a little bit the nature yeah. of head's current state of mind. So, so that's interesting. Uh, and he says to I her, I, "Yeah, no, go ahead." He, he says to her, "Hell is a more ordered is more ordered since your time, princess, and much less amusing." Uh, when he's confronting Aushalik, and I don't remember what she said to even prompt him to say that, but uh,
1: probably "hello" or the you know the same thing anybody prompts a speech from Pinhead with <laughs> fair, something completely different. Fair, fair enough.
0: But part um, of the thing is like he's it's more ordered since your time, Princess. But her time was at least two hundred years ago that she came rocking out of hell into France. He's been in hell since like nineteen. 19- 20, something like that, sometime post World War II. So he's only been there for like, uh, you know, 80 years or something of this way, seven or 80 years. Uh, well, maybe he's had time to read up. Well, that's kind of what I'm wondering because Pinhead, uh, here's a thing he does a lot in these films. He certainly did a lot of in Hellraiser 3, um, but in general, I think this is consistent with him. He kind of knows what's going on with people. Uh, And we've never really established whether it's because – and I talked about this last time, I think – whether it's Mm -hmm. because he's just psychic and can read minds on the spot or if he does a tremendous amount of research. And the tremendous amount of research argument would make sense for uh, him knowing about Angelique and knowing the – It also
1: makes sense with the ending in this movie, which we'll get to.
0: But but, but the psychic thing also seems kind of necessary for things to be plausible because I don't really believe that he was actually preparing a dossier on Terry with an I or on – uh, J.P. Morgan from from Hellraiser 3. I think he showed up and he did a cold reading. He's like, oh, okay, well, I know that you killed your parents and that you don't dream. And, you know, he just came up with that stuff. I feel like we have to assume that that's largely because he's able to think on his feet and get into people's brains like that. Um, right. Yeah, and I only bring this I'll, up because I'll, I'll come back to it later when we talk about the ending. But, uh, but I kind of, I want to, I want to know about the history of Hell now. Because if he knows about the princess, mm-hmm. uh, that well, I think it, might, compla- it might not be
1: a monarchy anymore,
0: for one thing. True. And yeah, we don't know, we don't know what exactly the structure is, but princess certainly implies some sort of, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, structure along I mean, those lines.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they never refer to Leviathan as like a king. He's like the guy in charge, or like the thing in charge. Yeah. It, it seems more like a bureaucracy now.
0: Yeah, Leviathan's almost a, a, a font of order. Like, there's nothing that really humanizes yeah. it at all. We don't get a sense of it as a person so much as a, a force... Over over the 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 labyrinth, Uh, but I want to know: Are there are there like old, are there old uh, demons sitting around, telling stories? Like like, (laughs) did Pinhead learn the stuff by talking to you know, good old Wheelbarrow Face, who was like, oh yeah, (laughs) back in my day, uh, before the age of reason, uh, you know, things were a lot more uh, raw around here. We really uh, (laughs) could uh, we hung an, an onion on our belt. Uh, which was the way at the time. He, but, uh,
1: he volunteered at the VA as part of the uh, community service requirement to <laughs> becoming a Cenobite. What, yeah,
0: I mean, what's the... Obviously, demons could live very long if Angelique, you know, assuming that she wouldn't have, like, died quickly in, in hell, uh, mm-hmm. Pinhead doesn't seem to have appreciably aged uh, in his decades down there. So I kind of wonder where that... Like, is it that hell has actually changed so much in two hundred years, or is it that old timers are telling the same sort of things? Used to be better in the golden days. Stories that everybody tells. Is Pinhead has things actually changed since Pinhead got there seventy years ago, or is he just bored? As he has hell stayed pretty much the same, but he's been through it all, and he's sort of like, ah, uh, I want something new, but there's nothing new because it's the eternal torment of hell, and you can only come up with so many ways to tear someone's skin off and so on. Uh,
1: yeah, maybe after being released from, like, the human part of him, he had a lot of fun there. He's like, oh, I've got to go back to this. Oh, maybe. Like, you know, I have to go back to the office after vacation.
0: Yeah, like he'll, he'll never forget that spring break. Uh, <laughs> I think, I feel uh, like, I th- this is, I have so many, apparently I have so many things. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this is, this is a, a thing I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I have such things to tell you. <laughs> Seriously, I have... I have such things to not shut up about. Uh, I feel like you could take the film so far partly as some sort of long meditation on uh, anhedonic personalities uh, as the Mm -hmm. logical result of immortality or or, or of extremity of experience. Uh, We've got these voyagers to the far reaches of pain and they all seem kind of blasé. And this is in the original novella, yeah. too. There's the sense that when uh, Frank first sees the Cenobites, he realizes they aren't crazy, sweaty, sexy demon mamas from hell ready to fuck like crazy. They're uh, gray-skinned, dour-looking, cheerless motherfuckers who look like uh, nothing you know is worth smiling at. And They're done. Yeah. It's like, is, is, is what is the lesson of these films that be glad you aren't immortal specifically because you will get so tired that you'll go through your extreme body modification phase and even that'll get boring, but then you've still got the weird pins and yeah. I mean, Jacques is
1: clearly not enjoying his long lifeedness because they haven't, it doesn't seem like they've left Paris and the only difference seems to be that he has become a drunk.
0: Yes. And he's got a terrible haircut. Yeah. So yeah. So,
1: yeah, old in, in extremely old immortal age is not wearing well on Jacques. And Angelique looks pretty bored the whole time there too. She's yep. like, Let's get out of here. I'm getting, you know, cabin fevery. And then he stands in the way of hell. Yep.
0: If your girlfriend is a demon, don't tell her she can't go to a party. Yeah. I guess he forget.
1: I mean, how how is it that that was the first time he had violated the rule in 200 years?
0: I, I have a feeling maybe she was just kind of okay with it, although it seems a little bit boring. I think she probably would have resented him a lot sooner than that. Uh, maybe maybe the rules really were a little bit specific, and she was waiting for something that she knew she could cite book and code on, in case he tried to appeal it. Maybe it's really hard to get laid in hell? Yeah, it could
1: be. She's like, yeah, but Especially for a princess, because, you know, if you're a princess, there's got to be, you know, like... the, the, what do you call it, the gendarmes around you or whatever, and it's probably just hard to just get laid once in a while, and so she's been doing that for 200 years.
0: And maybe 200 years is just a a once-in-a-while sort of thing. Maybe, you know, I mean, she didn't plan it per se, but, you know, it's like maybe that's just a a dalliance in a eons-long existence or something.
1: Yeah, and I mean, remember, like, Julia, when she, you know, when she's summoned out of hell, like, the first thing she wants is, like, a cigarette, some liquor, and to screw. Yep. So I think hell might be just incredibly boring. Yep. Um, let's
0: see, and then uh, so what was going on in this movie? That we were about? <laughs> was there a movie? Oh, at one point,
1: um, merchant, uh, present merchant, um, he's he has dreams of Jacques fucking Angelique, and this is like the sex scene for for, for the yeah. uh for the movie, which was pretty tame compared to the rest was of them. Was
0: it Jacques? I assumed it was him. Why, why would it? Have,
1: that's the thing. I. I, I think it maybe is it supposed to be him? Because wh- that, that makes even less
0: sense. I think it was him in a crappy wig that looked kind of like Jacques' crappy wig. Like I think it was him with like old Le Marchand hair or something. Okay. And yeah, they're on a, they're a four-poster bed with the, the – and the bed is rotating, which I love. <laughs> um, I thought it was notable that this dream sequence – the sexy times dream sequence in a horror movie did not end with a horrific twist. I was really yeah. trying to guess which way this was going to go bad and wrong. Uh, but no, no, it was just a straight up wet dream.
1: Yep. Um, and they, uh, and they poof, they they really go, and then he wakes up next to his wife, and they really go overboard on making it look like they've got an unhappy marriage, in a way that like it was definitely like you know telling and not showing, just because of how obvious it was. In and you know like when I have to say that the the relationship between Julia and Larry was more subtle than this one, that that's saying something.
0: Yeah. Like you have to assume there was some something was missing from the story. Like there was a scene or something where things went bad because, like, all he did was wake up and she's like, "Ugh," and he answers a phone call and he pods it off fairly convincingly as just being a. Yeah, because Angelique calls him. Yeah.
1: Like uh, Kirstie does in the middle
0: of the night to Larry. Yes. Calling, another callback. A callback. And.
1: Good night, everybody. Uh, Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) And then the Sean Penn twins come on.
0: Yes. Oh, but first Pinhead feeds his dog a dove. He's he's, he's sitting there, Pinhead sitting there in the dark. (laughs) <laughs> Noodling a, a, a dove's head And then he sends it flying off Like someone, you know Opening a banquet or something And then a dog jumps up and eats it It's a horrible Cenobite dog A horrible Chatterer Cenobite dog yeah. It's the Chatterer beast in the credits Is this supposed to be just a dog with the same shtick? Or is this supposed to be maybe Pinhead being like You know what? You did not do a very good job last time Now you're a dog Like found the same guy's flesh And resurrected him But as a, a, a dog beast just to put it in I think it place. might have
1: been one of those things where they, you know, they're just running out of ideas like, oh yeah, CD, he shoots CDs. It's like, <laughs> uh, we got this dog. What do you want to do? Uh, let's just reuse the chatter thing. That worked fine.
0: Uh, it was and, a creepy uh, thing. Although it was yes. creepier on the the guy than on a dog cuz the dog is sort of creepy already, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the twin security the, guards.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. So they 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 both look like Sean Penn. Um, and this is like probably the single like most obvious comic relief in a Hellraiser movie. Um and it's actually I, I thought it was pretty pretty funny. Um so they they they're just like these these like surfer security guard twins, like clearly like grown up like surfer type guys. And um they're armed with guns, which is really weird considering this building is in New York and we do not arm security guards with guns most of the time. Um and then so yeah, so they're uh, they're they're skulking around the um is it, is it the building that, that Merchant built?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, it's, yeah. Yeah,
1: And they're having a conversation over whether they would um, have sex with a post-op transsexual woman. Yeah. Like, this is just what they're talking about. And one of them says, you know, it's like, well, you know, I guess I would do it, you know, if she's had hormones the whole bit, as long as she's cut, <laughs> which um, – I, I assume he meant like, you know, cut as in like, you know, stacked or or built or No, no, I th-
0: I think he meant as long, as long as she has had the penis cut off, because they'd previously that- specifically talked about it. I think that's I think that's what he was saying. <sighs> you I think mean so? I I could see your interpretation, but given the the blunt inelegance of the prior conversation specifically about the surgery. I think that was the intention. I think it was supposed to be sort of like, a, oh yeah, no, it's, I, as long as she doesn't have a penis it, it's anymore. It's
1: sort of like a Knight of the Paper Hat way of phrasing it. You know, it as is. long as she was cut, it is.
0: And I, I thought it was really interesting that on the one hand they're having this sort of blunt and and very inelegant discussion about it, but on the other hand they're actually having a reasonably open-minded discussion about yeah. you know sexuality and and gender roles and being like, hey, you know, actually, I I don't think I would you know specifically have a problem with that. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's managed to be both enlightened. And incredibly sort of crude and, and and terrible. So I thought that was the interesting. the most
1: complex characterization in the films. <laughs> um, oh, and then they – so they notice a door that's not on the blueprints, and they're like, oh, it must be those genius college boys – I like I, that was just the weirdest blaming I've ever heard. It's like, oh those those college kids and they're leaving doors off blueprints. Well, it's like, Many it's times like we have to deal with that. It's like
0: blaming the grandma. There's a lot of like free-floating uh, you know, a- aggression and characterization of of blame in this film. People just like it's it's almost like a metaphor for like classism as the the root of societal problems <laughs> except for it's about architecture and grandmas. Oh, but they also do this bit where like one says, "What's this?" and the other one says, "It's a door." And I thought that was such a <laughs> <laughs> these these are these are these are twin brothers uh, who are insufferable, uh, and then they go and get uh, they go and get uh, killed. You, you later. know
1: you, you know what these guys should be? They should be like the wacky next door neighbors of the uh, the regular mover and the Cenobite mover in their sitcom. Yes, it's it's, it's sort of like a Rosen
0: Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern, <laughs> Ro- Rosenstein and, and Gildenberg, you know. <laughs> Why well, do think That's we should kill to- Hamlet? <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> on the, and the twins find like the messy corpse of someone in the building. And yeah. the only person yeah. I could think of is it's obviously not a dove. It's, you know, big human remains. Is it the sex bait dude who got murdered after owning the box? Cause he really got ferreted off to hell. Did hell like burp or you know, where did these human remains come from that they're like all freaked out about?
1: Maybe maybe the the just travel with a shitload of human remains at any one time that they could pull out of their universe just for you know set pieces. That could it's be. Like I think this 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 little alcove would look better with a corpse.
0: <laughs> it's like it's like and, it's it's like throwing some rushes on the ground in a fantasy tale, <laughs> except for instead of like you know wheat or whatever, it's it's human body parts. Yeah, just, just like, smarten up a little bit, make it look nice.
1: A hook with like a corpse, you know, descends from the rafters like in a play. They're like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe oh. hibiscus.
0: And then an amazing, uh, once again, foreshadowing by like five seconds in these films. Uh, they, they see this yeah. terrible stuff, and the twins, one of them says, From now on, we stick together always. And, nice. and then shortly thereafter, they encounter uh, Pinhead and get tortured into a weird twin, conjoined twin centibite joined at the head by a terrible torture device. Yeah,
1: and the joining didn't actually make. Oh, wait, when they encounter Pinhead, one of them's like, who's that? It's like, who's that guy? He's got pins in his
0: head. (laughs) Don't make us put some pain on you, gentlemen. I am Pain, which was uh, okay.
1: No, actually, he's got a really. uh, Pinhead has a really badass line in this scene where he's like, Pain has a face. Allow me to show it to you, which (laughs) was, I I like that one. And And then he ruins it by saying, I am Pain. It's like, well, yeah, that's, you know. I mean, I guess he's got to dumb it down for them a little. They, yeah. didn't seem like they, they, were they weren't involved.
0: up to speed. He had to go 101 on them. You I can really, tell if
1: the person he's dealing with is stoned or not.
0: <laughs> like, let me try that again. Here, I'll, I'll go again. Hold on. You're in trouble. Uh, the flesh melding, I I've, i think I said this last time, but the, the, the twins being conjoined into one, uh, that's what the – effect sequence at the end of three reminded me of with Elliot and pinhead being merged together so one
1: at the end of three was better. I have to say, because, so what happens in this one, like, you know, they're standing next to each other and these like half masks come out from like on either side of them, you know, demerge from the ground or the ceiling, I guess it's not really clear. Um, and then they clamp, you know, one of them gets to the right side of his head clamped. The other one gets left side and then they're brought in and then drill drills, drills uh, come out of somewhere. And I can't figure out if they're, being, if they're being drilled through the head, through the side, or if the drill is coming up behind them, or I couldn't really figure out what the hell was going on there.
0: I have at this but point th- a fairly clear picture, I think, of how that worked, but it's not shown well on camera. Maybe I'll draw something on a napkin for the blog.
1: That'll be useful. And then, so what happens is that they just get, um, like, these drills, like, sort of tangle the flesh of the exposed half of each face together. And um, so, yeah, they turn into, like, a conjoined twin Cenobite. And one of them actually has, like, the comedy face, like, and the other one is the tragedy face. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, so, yeah, that, that's, that, there's our, there's our Cenobite.
0: Yep. I I agree. I I feel like the the scene, the sequence worked better at the end of three than this one did, even though I liked the look of the individual effects shots in this better than in three. I I thought three looked sort of cheap, but at least it was very clear what was going on. Whereas this one, it seems like they had two or three different scenes and they weren't sure which one they were shooting. So they shot all of them. Yep. Uh, Because, yeah, the face masks that initially clamped them just go away afterwards. It was like, what was that about? Uh, I don't know. So,
1: Mm.
0: yeah. But, you know, whatever. And it
1: wasn't very gory.
0: Yeah, it was it was again mostly in omission and implication rather than explicit gore. I mean there was there was a couple actual there was some blood from the masks, there was the drill yeah. pulling back flesh initially, although it wasn't very clear what was going on. So yeah. kind of a mess in, in more than one sense, I guess. And then it cuts to um, it cuts to
1: Bobby, uh, John Merchant's wife. Um, and she's doing the laundry and she descends into what I can only describe as Silent Hill basement. Oh, yeah, it's a creepy hallway apparent, sequence. Yeah, they have, like, the creepiest hallway anybody has ever constructed on purpose. Because rest of the house looks good, laundry room looks good, and in between is, like, the single creepiest hallway ever. Well, I will say, and, I, think, uh, I
0: think this was probably an apartment. Like, I think was that was, it? I think that was the, like, the laundry room. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. It was an apartment building. But still, uh, but but for some reason, they had a direct connection to the laundry room from their apartment.
0: Yeah, or something.
1: But yeah, it was just like, it was, it was, the basement was creepy to an extent that it, it was just weird. Like, I was just like, is this a dream sequence? Or, you know, like, what is, I think it's because, like, Pinhead was materializing somewhere around there. He made the hallway creepy. But um, I have to say, what it reminded me of, just like the the just like completely random creepy thing, was I used to work in this office that um, it was on like you know Forty First and Third in Midtown, the, the building wasn't very old, but like it had like our just the floor that the our office was on had like a back section where the you know giant angry. Um, like heating, like the HVAC system was, and there was like metal grates, and it was, you know, it made noises. And there was a, there was an additional men's bathroom there where the lights were always like flickering. It was, it was, um, the lights were always flickering. It was filthy in there, just like the kind of filthy that you can't clean off. Um, there was one mirror above the sink that was like smashed and shattered and hanging at an angle, and every time I went in there to use a stall, the, uh, we had I had a coworker who would mumble to himself, and he was always you know in the next stall. Um, so yeah, that was the, we, I called it Silent Hill bathroom, and that that's what it.
0: This hallway reminded me of. And and then they don't do anything with that sequence. Yeah, like they they, They they do this protracted, like creepy hallway sequence. And then it's nothing except for her running back out of it towards the sound of her kid screaming, which is the actual scary thing. uh, uh, And and Pinhead is kidnapped. And Pinhead smashed the kid's connect. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, you know, kidnapping a kid for the purpose of hell is one thing. But you don't fuck with someone's fucking sculpture like that. What are you doing, you asshole? It doesn't even seem a character for him.
1: Yeah, the kid was building, like, this big, uh, connects like, Ferris wheel, and, like, the first thing that Bobby sees when she runs out is that it's smashed and him.
0: When it, maybe the kid, like, threw it at Pinhead? I don't know. It seems like it was pretty much on the floor in a fairly neat smashed pile. <laughs> That's true. Maybe so, Pinhead I mean, was like, <laughs> you must come with me now. And he's like, no, I'm building things. You must come with me now. I'm like, no, I'm working on it. There's a young man. He's like, fine. And smashed it himself and got up and walked over <laughs> to Pinhead. Uh, yeah.
1: And then, um... And then let's see. Oh, yeah. And then so she this was actually a pretty creepy scene where she's like standing on the stairs looking down at the flight beneath. And all she sees is her son. um, What the hell is his name? Jack. Jack. Yeah, so she sees Jack, and she's like, Jack, come here. And he's just like, I can't. He won't let me. And then, like, she moves a little bit, and then, you know, Pinhead's so, – like, she moves, and Pinhead steps out, like, at the same time. And Pinhead's really
0: good with kids. He is. He's, he's got yeah, he, he yeah, a way with it. Yeah, he was just sort
1: of like – you know, he's sort of like, you know, held the kid against uh, against himself and, like, brushed his hair back a little. And, yes, Pin, Pinhead is surprisingly good with kids, and he understands the concept of family very well during a dialogue he has with um John Merchant – Oh, certainly. Where yeah, so I, I think, uh, yeah, Pinhead's humanity actually comes out a couple of times. Also, I noticed that when he looks up at her, all of his scars on his face, like the, uh, the, the, grid, wor- the grid of scars, they're red which was, uh, I mean, they're usually just, like, scar tissue on white, so they're just, like, a different, like, kind of shade of white, but this time they were, like, bright red, like they were
0: fresh. Yeah, there, there was a there was a little bit of, I think it was just probably inconsistent in makeup and them doing, because it, it looked nice, it, it looked good. Yeah. I feel like maybe they just hadn't gotten that so much previously. And he also had, those a sort of conspicuous blue lighting to his his eyes and mouth area and the gaps where there aren't pins. Uh, I thought it was, Yeah, I remember being sort of just struck by the, the colors in that shot. Um, yeah. Which is probably deeply meaningful somehow, but I haven't figured out how yet.
1: Did we ever bring up the fact that um, like that grid work is really resembles like a, a phrenology
0: map a lot? Uh, you may have missed that in
1: passing. Look at it from, especially when you look at it from a side, like where the grid cuts off. It's almost like exactly the same on like phrenology diagrams.
0: Yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't know if it was explicitly a reference to that or not, but it definitely works as a, a sort of aesthetic nod. Um, Uh. So
1: for anybody who's listening who isn't aware, phrenology is a... uh it's a, it was the medical study of, and is no longer considered a medical study, that the shape of one's head influences their personality. And like the, so the shape of the head and the face. Um, so you know, people who are destined to be criminals have heads shaped like this, and people who are going to be accountants have heads shaped like this. And, and you've probably seen like,
0: drawings in profile of a bald head with uh, sections drawn on it with lots of labels Is you know, in the vicinity of basically a phrenological uh, diagram. Uh, those tend to pop up in I don't know mad scientist labs and whatnot.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons too where like Mr. Burns gets out like a caliper and measures Homer's <laughs> head. <laughs> <laughs> like that—that's the kind of science it is. It's—it's it's the kind that you know Mr. Burns on The Simpsons would find like you know top of the line science at the
0: moment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, so 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 uh, Pinhead makes off with the kid and presumably with Bobby as well, because she shows up kidnapped later and they head to the, the, the creepy box building, I guess. And and Merchant gets home and he finds a bleeding copy of the architecture magazine that he's on the cover of. And there's a there's a knife it's stuck through it. Into,
1: yeah, into the uh, Elysium configuration.
0: Yes, the, the, the old family draft of the bad tribal tattoo that will destroy the box to hell. Uh, a knife stabbing through the magazine into the old blueprint and then the magazine is actively bleeding, which was a nice little bit of panache by uh, by uh, Pinhead. I feel like the attention to detail—that's what I like about him. set. <laughs> so he goes. To, he goes to the building, and he goes into the the elevator lobby of the building, and and the sign for the floor that the elevator's on is saying seven, and it's flashing. And I, why would? Why would it be flashing? I mean, I understand it's flashing so that he'll look and say, I need to go to floor seven, but I can't take the elevator. I'll run up these stairs. But why flashing? Maybe somebody pressed the alarm button and that's what it does. Maybe. Also, seven? Man is five, the devil is six, God is seven? Is there some sort of intentional numerological symbolism there? Like, was that a a hopeful sign if he knew to see it that, in fact, what he was going to do was not succumb to hell but find a way to challenge it? Uh, I don't know. The credulous podcast says yes. Yes. <laughs> also, okay, so he gets up there and he gets into the room where Bobby and and, and uh little Jack are. Uh <laughs> and also there's some chains and there's the chatterer dog. Uh and there's also a rotating pillar. A rotating. Oh, yeah. A yeah.
1: really brief shot, but like it's totally I,
0: there. Yeah. And and, and, then, um, and I want another motivation for this. Is this like standard equipment? Is this a reissue of the original pillar? Is this something Pinhead keeps around to keep himself feeling like humble or, or just like at home? Or Maybe it's what he keeps his to-do list on. Oh, maybe. There's like he summons it out of
1: hell and there's, you know, like a thing nailed to it. It's like, oh, there's the laundry ticket. <laughs> Buy milk. <laughs> it's his fridge. But yeah, it's like, you know, there's like a little little magnet on there with the the shopping list exactly um and then he gives us so you know he's got the kid and then he gives uh merchant the speech it's like you know this is your son you have hopes and dreams for him you wish to teach him things and he goes on and like pinhead really understands what it means to be a father apparently um because it's all like you know it's all just like him explaining to 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 merchant how he's going to be like a fantastic dad and then um oh and this is where the uh what what precedes the the do I look like line? Uh, I,
0: I think I think I think Merchant just says for God's sake. And oh, yeah. he says, Do try. I look like someone who cares what God thinks Yeah, that was the uh so that's I, I thought that line came was it from an earlier movie, but nope. I, yeah, you you brought it up in the last podcast, I think, specifically. Oh, right, as yeah. as uh one you were yeah. looking forward to hearing again. Yeah, I think
1: while rewatching the last one, I realized it wasn't going to be in that one, so it must have been in this one, because it couldn't have been in any of the ones after
0: this. Now, speaking uh, of callbacks, a little bit later, Merchant shouts, this isn't a game, and, and Pinhead says, oh yes, it is a game, and now it is time to play. Am I forgetting? Is time to play – did that come up in a previous movie? This is embarrassing that we've only been doing this for like a month and a half, it- and I can't remember, but – Must have.
1: Um, I want to say according to YouTube, it came up in Hellraiser Two.
0: Okay. Okay. Good. No more teasing,
1: Kirsty. It's time to play.
0: Okay. I was feeling a little bit crazy because it's like that can't be where it started. It felt like it was like one of those series franchise uh, catchphrases. So okay, I feel better.
1: And then Merchant is, like, sneaking away with his son, and, like, you know, Pinhead, you know, they're, like, running away, and, like, Pinhead is trailing them slowly. And then Merchant's, like, you know, let's sneak into this door, like, in front of Pinhead, like he's sneaking away. It was was really weird. It's like, well, you can either proceed down the hallway or you can go through the door, but both of these things are going to be really obvious. There's not much (laughs) sneaking involved. Then he finds Bobby. And then he's just like, all right, you kid, take the elevator down. Bobby, you go over there. You know, let's all split up because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, It was, it's, he's just, I mean, this is like some of the, like, I mean, you know, it's horror movie dumb where it's just like, oh, what's in this creepy basement? But yeah. it's, it's like especially dumb.
0: Yeah. Go, go, um, go to the next set. Cause we <laughs> built it. And Bobby, Bobby at one point gets her hands on the box. And just apparently inherently knows that what you do is you solve it and point it at something and make it go away. Because she does that to get rid of the the Chatterer Beast. Uh, the, one good
1: CGI, the one really good CGI shot is that she's being chased by the Chatterer Beast, who just like kind of drifts around the corner like a race car, but then smashes into a wall. And it actually looks good because... Bobby running away is in focus, and the background is completely out of focus. So the CGI is completely out of focus. So you can't <laughs> actually tell that it looks like crap.
0: <laughs> it's it's you know you use what you got. It's it's smart filmmaking right there. Uh, oh, and also there's, there's a scene where he's like he's finishing his work. Uh, I think I think uh, Pinhead tells him to do exactly that. In fact, you know where he's trying to make the room in the building. Do whatever it's supposed to do, and it's 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 shown just like a a hacking scene, except for there's none of this notional transgression of 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 the hacking that usually happens with those. It's just like it's like a tense hacking screen, except for he's actually just working on his computer. And and I want to. That's
1: right. And Angelique. That's right. Angelique forces him to, and she's just like, take your hands. Like, get your hands on the console. I'm like, console? console. Did I, I'm now just like, I've, I mean, I've heard it, I've, I've heard like a computer like setup be referred to that in like, you know, science fiction occasionally, but had, did, did they? Jacques,
0: Jacques wasn't really in the computers. So like the most she knows, she was paying attention in the seventies, you know, <laughs> uh, sort of stopped paying attention to computers after that.
1: Where's the VEX system? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you there. To your mainframe terminal. <laughs> Spool up the tapes uh, they must get to <laughs> MIT and use their computer <laughs> but uh, uh th- then uh, then uh, merchant gets his head cut off with a nice little chain right through the throat that then spreads yeah, some blades it was, blades cool, and pulls back it was like it
1: was it was a chain like it, sli- it you know it goes through his throat and after it gets out like these two blades pop out to make like a T and then Pinhead pulls the thing back and that decapitates um, John Merchant. That was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool decapitation. (laughs) It made a lot more sense than Chouinard's decapitation.
0: Yes. like Someone was at least doing something on purpose, not just, oops, my bad with the tentacle. (laughs) And And then Bobby solves the box again and she's trying to like box pinhead it seems like but then it pops out of her hands and it, it grabs angelique with a bunch of chains and drags her in and then i guess sort of a whole lot of the building too although it's really not clear a bunch of stuff goes yeah. in and then that's the end of the shot but then the box this, explodes oh well, and then the box explodes and then and it's clearly a crate
1: of some sort with yeah. like fireworks
0: in it and not like
1: you know a small handheld box
0: And that whole scene is really confusing because it's not clear Mm. why it just went after Angelique like that. And I guess this is another victim of the weird editing after the fact in the Alan Smithy situation. Because I guess this was supposed to be a thing where I think Angelique was trying to get uh, John Merchant to finish this work because she thought she was going to get one over on Pinhead and maybe get rid of him. But Pinhead right. managed to foil her, and that's why the box ended up grabbing her. Is it was actually Pinhead basically getting the upper hand and putting her, you know, in her place. But none of that yeah, came out in the actual cut that we saw.
1: Yeah, like I, I feel like there was like a the, like an adversarial relationship between them that was supposed to be set up and wasn't.
0: Yeah, it was like it was never it developed sometimes in it a seems film. like
1: they're working together, and sometimes it seems like they're working for different things. But it's never clear why they'd be working for different things, and it's never clear what those different things are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the film completely um, fails to establish the sense of yeah. opposition that it hints at throughout, uh, which was kind of also. Frustrating. Is
1: this is this where the the Elysium configuration, the the, the prototype of it, is is turned on? Because I think she makes him sit down in the console and like, oh yeah, because Pinhead wants... Yeah wants him to build, like, a giant uh, Le Marchand's configuration. I mean, a, a giant Lament configuration, rather, to, you know, let loose hell. Like, that's his... Yeah. This is the first time anybody explicitly says that the box is a gate to hell and not, like, some stupid metaphors yes. about doors and demons live in it. And, so and um, Pinhead yes, wants she, him to build a...
0: ha Hell! Sorry. <laughs> uh, the dumb joke foiled by my choking. That was... That couldn't have gone any worse. <laughs> Please well, there carry could have been on. Feedback in the mic. <laughs> Awkward.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, so she she sits down and makes him do stuff at the computer, but in turn he actually activates the you know his prototype elysium configuration, but and then so it shoots out like lights and mirrors, like in uh, was it Indiana Jones? Is that is that where they like open up something with well, lights and mirrors? Um,
0: well there was. I think it was Indiana Jones. or there was the no, Ark. No, uh, Fifth oh. Element. There was Something. some lighting stuff in the fifth element. I think that was I'm just a beam from the sky really though.
1: I, don't, I mean <laughs> Either way so yeah so they you know they, the there's lasers and like you know light you know starts circling in like a pattern in like in the room which is like the that exploded view of the uh, box so you realize that he built it big um and then and then it it blows up and it fails and 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 Pinhead's like oh nice try and then he kills uh Maran, but he explicitly lets his kid live. I remember that
0: Well, the I kid basically know. runs, like I don't think we that's even get to see Pinhead making a decision to let the kid r- live beyond not immediately like chaining him, I guess, but right. Pinhead just sort of like the whole scene goes away after Angelique gets sucked into the box, and we don't really get any explanation of what happened there that's so yeah, I'm assuming Pinhead sort of got sucked back in too is the implication yeah, and then we're back in space back in space, back to the future.
1: And uh, back to the first, like, I'm going to say 45 seconds to a minute of the movie, recycled.
0: Yes. Oh, and, uh, and they and they they blatantly recycle the robot, uh, the exploded. terrible CGI and the robot explosion. But then they do elaborate on what we didn't really get a good glance at in the yeah. opening of the film, including the fact that the such a long wait for such a short game line must have been something Merchant was saying uh, to pinhead in conversation which we only sort of sort of heard in bad sound mixing uh overheard by the soldiers coming in uh yeah actually the the
1: extra stuff that they put in so what happens in the beginning is that you know um robot blows up box bounces away pinhead comes out taunts him in the camera disappears the next thing you see is um you know the the space marines being like you know paul merchant you're under arrest and apparently you know like a good two minutes worth of or not Probably longer, like a bunch of stuff took place between Pinhead disappearing and the guards getting to him, which is now like you know sort of retconned, kind of, which was weird because they actually did a really good job of making it look like that happened one thing after the other, and like the one time the continuity adding, you know, would have worked for them, they they go back and it's like, oh no, actually, what happened was yeah, it
0: felt a little, like a little bit of a cheat, like oh, that's not actually what happened, you know, well, and tell yet, us one thing and then tell us as far
1: another. as a little bit of a cheat goes, um. Anyway, so um oh and, and then this is where the Angelique cenobite shows up because now she's been Cenobit. bit. <laughs> well, you know um, they say
0: once cenobitten twice shy. <laughs> they say that a lot in, uh, they don't they're lot to do in to hell. They're very bored in hell.
1: They just make up aphorisms and and that's about it, really. Yep. Um and so so her cenobite looks exactly like she does except um her 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 scalp is uh you know her head is shaved her scalp is split open down the middle, and like the two two halves are peeled back and attached to her shoulders by um by uh you know hook and hook and uh line i guess yeah. of some sort um yeah no not well, and also she originally looks originally.
0: totally she looks totally grumpy too which i i, I think yeah. she's sort of like under pinhead's thumb and and so maybe that's why but uh, she never cracks a single smile, I think, of this Cenobite uh-huh. form. She just looks like she's like, Okay, let's go to the space.
1: Maybe it's maybe it's one of those things where it's like Pinhead's seen as like a weird guy completely obsessed with these like like random people that just happen to summon him and everybody's like, Are you you know you're supposed to be working, right? This isn't we're not paying you to, to hunt this guy. <laughs> So it's like it's like no, I'm taking these people up to the uh, suspicious. It's like look, if you go by yourself, that's fine, but they have work to do. They're demons. Um, so I, I think it's something like that.
0: Office politics. Yeah, I can buy that.
1: <laughs> and like all of Pinhead's, you know, Pinhead's work has been you know lacking because his Cenobites are really unoriginal, and he's gonna get fired. I feel like he's gonna get fired real quick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is this you've uh, made, uh, Mister Head? Well, it's a it's a it's a chatterer beast. It's a dog that's like a chatterer. Really? That's uh. How long you been? Oh, a couple a couple years now. I've been putting this one together. Well, you know, let's meet again in a couple weeks and uh, we'll discuss some. Uh, some future state strategy points it's
1: like Job and Arrested Development constantly pitching the same like singles housing (laughs) complex idea wake (laughs) up because you're living in hell city um (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: yeah so
1: um, so then there's uh you know more dialogue between uh Paul Merchant and Rimmer where he oh um at one point Pinhead like tells uh, Merchant that he's an old friend of the family which I thought was pretty cool um but yeah so then Merchant you know, tells rumor a bunch of stuff it's like now is the time for revenge. Hell believes in you and uh my favorite was uh, stop thinking and start feeling. Yes. Cuz I mean what happened was that there was not enough emotions going around and maybe that was <laughs> maybe that was like acting advice that they accidentally, you know, <laughs> shot and they were like
0: it was supposed to be a note not a not a line yeah i i really like that line because it made me uh really focus on something that i've been sort of half thinking about throughout the film there's this whole bloodline and we see like three generations but that's three from among what had to be like 10 or 15 you know generations in there at least uh and what I want to know like we 've got the there 's the wiki that has all the cenobites that showed up everywhere else. I want to know about all the the merchant boys who weren 't these three guys because I feel like stop thinking and start feeling sounds like a great like chapter heading from a book that one of the interim Lamarchands. Uh, made bank on as a self-help guru. Like he wrote a, a book called Living Outside the Box. And, you know, it had all this advice that, unknown to him was like cryptic advice for, you know, grappling with and defeating the forces of hell. But Pin had never showed up and he never found a box. And so just nothing ever went with it. Like, you know. Uh,
1: seven Habits of Highly Effective Cenobite it, Capture.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I kind of, I, I, I want to know the whole the whole story with the rest of the Mershon uh crew now like the 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 ignoble stories <laughs> of the guys who never had a tête-à-tête with the uh, the forces of darkness uh yeah that, that i there, there,
1: there's a lot of stuff that's introduced in all of these movies that would make for more entertaining movie than the movies we watch <laughs> um <laughs>
0: oh we should watch and, a good uh, movie sometime
1: no <laughs> that would be the point um, oh, and then then we're so um, what happens is that you know like the uh, the space marines they're you know all over the ship and merchants like what the fuck are you doing get them back here they're all gonna die, and then immediately we're introduced to the first black guy in a Hellraiser <laughs> franchise movie, <laughs> so it's you know this is a black guy in both a horror movie and a science fiction movie so you know he's going to be dead in like about two seconds, and what do you know, um, you know uh who is it that comes for him? Well, he I falls, he falls out. for the
0: crying baby. Like, like it sounds oh, like or right. not crying, yeah. baby, but, but crying kid. It sounds like basically mm-hmm. young Jack merchants on the inside of that, uh, vault mm-hmm. that we've gotten a su- bunch of establishing shots of that the robot was in. And he hears a crying and he said, what the, and he, uh, shoots the hell out of the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he gets, gets killed. But this is, this is after he comes across the, the box solving robot control, remote control gloves, what he's oh, picking yeah. up. And he he says, what the like they're the goddamn thing he's ever seen (laughs) and it's like come on this cat we had power gloves in like 1989 you know i'm sure that in the early 22nd century on a space station you've encountered some sort of like vr gloves before where you'd be like oh he's into video games not like
1: what the well, maybe the gloves that actually exist then are, you know, like slick, professional-looking things and not clearly like oven mitts with wires on them. So he's just like, how did what, – what is this? Like if you come into somebody's house and they've got a TV, but it's just built out of like, you know, um, a fishbowl and a couple of light bulbs and stuff.
0: Maybe. Or it could be like vintage. It could be like a mid-21st century when it's like, what the – he's got an original Atari glove handset. <laughs> and he just didn't get to finish the sentence because he had to go get killed. And he gets skinned. The black guy has his skin
1: torn off. Huh? Yes. So, hey, Social yeah. commentary. I don't know what it's saying, but it's saying something. Something,
0: something about the, uh, yeah, yeah, passing and, and so on. And also, hey, someone's skinned alive, which is yep. always important. So that too. Yeah. Uh, and it's the twins with, mm-hmm. their, with their smile and frown drama mask things uh, show up and they kill somebody. And they kill him. Uh, by by, they split in him. half and then he gets in the middle they, be, they make him the meat in a centibite sandwich I guess and we never see how that concludes we just see them yeah. come apart to be two separates and then flank him slowly while he does nothing about it and then just sort of start apparently absorbing him as a middle part of them or something
1: yeah it's, it's never clear if like you know then they just eat the whole thing and then just become twins again or if they're gonna be triplets now yeah I was really and hoping for triplets
0: honestly but we yeah, never got a shot know,
1: By the year, like, you know, 10,000, you know, it's in in, in the Dune times, you know, on Arrakis, there's for some reason just like a conga line of (laughs) more like a kick line of just like dozens and dozens of dudes. Um, And that that's what the twins became. That could be. Uh, Yeah. So that was that was really a not um, not not fantastic death. I mean, none of them really were. Man, Uh, a a Dune Hellraiser
0: crossover, man. Like, instead of dune Hellraiser crossover, so let's take the the, the future state of Dune where Spice has become... uh, Let's take a twist uh, and say, you know, the god-emperor has battened down the Spice. People are desperately looking for a way to travel through space at, you know, faster-than-light speeds without it. And what they discover, instead of false Spice, maybe someone discovers the hell dimension and discovers they could move through the hell dimension to come out the other side somewhere else much faster. That could be a a little one-off... Story right there that would be an awkward merging of two totally unrelated canons, and all of the
1: uh, all of the Harkonnen from you know the original novels can come back as as Cenobites. Oh shit! I mean,
0: for it, yeah, yeah. I think we're onto something. Yeah, let's uh,
1: <laughs> let's see what the Herbert estate has to say about uh, ruining their franchise.
0: I'm yes, sure yes. they won't, because we I'm would sure be ruining the franchise. <laughs>
1: hey, Brian Herbert, I hope you're not listening to this. <laughs> Um, Oh, and so, you know, one of the last remaining space marines, he comes in and he's got this like giant, it's an oversized rifle. Like it's, it's the size of like a sniper rifle. If a sniper rifle was like incredibly large, but he's carrying it around like an assault rifle. And this thing has a, uh, a barrel that's like, you know,
0: two, two and a half feet long and I was just really confused about that weapon. I really, I wanted to complain about that, yeah I had a note about that because, you know what, if you're breaching close quarters like that, you don't carry on a long fucking rifle, like that's you, you carry a shotgun you carry a pistol, you, you carry something that you can easily move around in that space it's, it's idiotic, I'm of all the things that I'm bothered by in this film I'm especially bothered by the choice of long barrels on the guns of the soldiers that's, uh Clearly, the biggest problem this film has. <laughs>
1: um, oh, and then there's another death of another Space Marine. He sees Angelique in the mirror, which is kind of weird because I'm thinking it's like you know you're seeing your own reflection as a beautiful woman. This might be there might be bigger issues at play than uh, than the demons on the ship. If you're just like See, again, not the, the, that the, this level.
0: film surprisingly tries to work in some sort of metaphorical commentary on the nature of you know transsexuality. It's yeah. it's a lot of layers. And then she pulls him in through the mirror and decapitates him somehow? I wasn't too clear. She sort of, it's like she pulled him halfway into the mirror and then made the mirror be a real mirror again, and so he fell in half. Uh, I see which it didn't make a lot of sense but it was kind of groovy but yeah if I was that guy I kind of feel like and I realize this is a horror movie logic complaint but if I see something super fucking weird in a mirror that doesn't make sense step one (laughs) look behind the mirror step two back (laughs) the fuck off don't don't put your hands up there and pull some wrath of Khan. I have always been and will always be your friend bullshit just like you know get away from that thing this does not seem like a big you know big ask you know, it's yeah. like that's some pretty basic just don't do the literally stupidest weirdest thing you could do right here thing but yeah, maybe like could be
1: easily defeated if the mirror just isn't a mirror on the back and you just wheel her out
0: maybe <laughs> he was on serious hallucinogenics maybe he was oh, like yeah. like he, he just issue
1: that's, army lsd yeah
0: he's like space is weird and boring and terrible let's get really fucked up
1: i mean that explains most of what goes wrong in prometheus
0: I still haven't seen it. I gotta see it at some point. Oh, and I, I I I'm gonna enjoy it and also be devastated by it, I'm sure, because I love the Alien franchise and I I am willing to sit through a pretty bad movie for some of it. But uh
1: it's it's worth seeing. I, I enjoyed certain parts of it. Like I mean, I mentioned this online, I think on Metafilter a couple of times. Prometheus makes a lot more sense if you take uh take, you know, just as fact the fact that um all of the people that are working on that ship are working there. Because they couldn't get any other job. Like, this is the shittiest thing you could possibly get a job doing, and they are all the absolute worst in their field. And if you think of it that way, the movie makes a lot more sense. I'll try and
0: keep that in the back of my head, then.
1: (laughs) Um, So, anyway, yeah. uh, Yeah, so... Uh, There's a
0: – Pinhead's all looking at uh, the picture of the Earth. He's like, it's a garden of Eden, a garden of flesh, which I thought was kind of a nice –
1: Before that, we find out that uh, plasma weapons don't work on Cenobites.
0: Oh, yeah. Just like the Borg.
1: <laughs> you know what oh. I'm
0: thinking? Tie-in? Crossover? Yeah. Cenoborg. Oh, man. What if what if the Borg actually just assimilated all the Cenobites? Because that's, that's definitely later okay. than this film. Yeah, uh, this is like just the mid twenty seconds. I turn out the twenty fourth, so there's no more pseudobites in mean, the Borgs. That's why the Borgs all sort of have that specific gray fleshed aesthetic.
1: Yeah, they can travel through dimensions because in Voyager they were uh, what is it species L two four six. Well, anyway, no, the, no, that's, the Borg that's, that's definitely travel between dimensions. So maybe at one point they got into the Hell dimension and you know assimilated it.
0: Lv four twenty six is the colony of aliens. Oh, uh, that's right. Aliens are like it's species eight two seven four or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, that's that'll be for a different podcast. Yes, eight four seven two species eight four seven two who live in the fluid dimension. Yeah, fluidic um,
0: space, fluidic
1: space. Uh, oh yeah, and then there's a really quick cheap scare with the uh, chatter dog. I don't know why they keep going for these like cheap like you know thing jumps out of the darkness scare um in these movies because these aren't that kind of horror movie.
0: Yeah, you've got a bunch of actual like sort of horrific premise and body horror stuff going on. Why yeah. yeah. But then again, why have a creepy hallway with a flickering light before you do laundry? I mean, it's I feel like there's a certain amount of just like doing stuff because that's a thing you can do to fill this minute.
1: Right. Um, yeah, that's true. Um oh yeah, so yeah, the, so then um Paul merchant distracts Hellraiser with like a video of the earth and then Hellraiser you know starts pontificating about how it was yeah Garden of Flesh
0: I'm sorry Um, his name is Pinhead what did I say? (laughs) you called him Hellraiser (laughs) I'm now doing this podcast with someone's grandma oh yeah
1: (laughs) oh man I love that scene where Die Hard jumps off the building
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what uh, it was oh. it was so natural. I mean, no, I knew exactly what you meant. It was just uh, I think it's this is what happens when we expose ourselves to this much concentrated uh, Hellraiser. It, it starts to just Malkovich up a little bit, yeah. and then he Hellraisered the Hellraiser. Uh, yeah, with some Hellraisers.
1: Oh, and then um they they destroy the um Chatter Dog the Cheddar Hound, Cheddar Beast, whatever, the same way they did with the uh, Runner Alien in Alien
0: 3. Sort of, yeah. It, they they, well, it, they they blew it up. Yeah. They, uh, she, which I guess she, she just trapped it into a reverse airlock, and she happened to know the station well enough that she knew that room that she was trapping it in was very much a room that you can suddenly give a couple thousand atmospheres inside of... 30 seconds is what they did, (laughs) uh, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. And that, that scene actually really reminded me of alien three with, yeah, like the running through the doors and closing the door behind you and trying to trap the thing in place. Uh, It did seem, it seemed like a nod, but I'm trying to remember the timing. It may not have been a nod. It may have actually been, uh, just uh, a pressure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe Fincher was specifically influenced by that.
1: That's true. Yeah. He'd never admit it. <laughs> no one. It's like, would what were you, you influenced it. by? Oh, well, have you seen Hellraiser four? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first three were okay, but that one really knocked it out of the park. It's like,
1: yeah, well, uh, winning this Oscar, I'd have to say that you know my biggest influences are Puppet Master Part Six, <laughs> Hellraiser Four, Friday the Thirteenth Part Twelve, Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, yeah. Also, I, I can't. I don't remember what it was that reminded me. I think it was the airlock thing that reminded me of the uh, Futurama line where the uh, Planet Express, you know, drops under the ocean. They're like, you know, we're taking on pressures of up to like, you know, fifty atmospheres. How many can the ship hold? It's like, well, it's a spaceship, so anywhere between zero and one.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah, and then let's see. Oh, yeah, then a uh, pinhead at one point says, "I'm so exquisitely empty." When uh, talking about, um, I, I was so, talking about what he wants? The, the prompt
0: was, or, What do you have faith in? And I don't oh, that's remember right. who was saying it or why. I guess it was it Merchant, probably. Merchant. Yeah. It's just him and Merchant at this point. And he's like, um, I cannot die. I am forever. By which yeah, means I, I am for another four or five movies.
1: Yeah. And then, um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's just, you know, Merchant and uh, Pinhead, they're trapped, and Merchant's just like, Oh, by the way, and then blinks out of existence.
0: Yeah. And we're watching this and we're expecting that maybe because merchant has sworn up and down to Rimmer, uh, mm-hmm. that <laughs> let's just say Rimmer a few more times. Uh, he's sworn up and down to, to, to lady oh, future soldier cop Rimmer that he doesn't want to, uh, he, he doesn't intend to die here or sacrifice himself if he doesn't have to. And right. yet we see him standing off with the uh, pinhead right during the, the, the whole tense countdown, mm-hmm. um, during which he covertly glances at the countdown timer a couple times, which doesn't make sense once we find out he's a merchant, he's a hologram, because wouldn't he just look at that timer, you know, back in the ship where he actually is? Instead of, yeah, like, potentially so. giving away the game?
1: Well, maybe he's really selling it? I, I don't know. Maybe, I, it, I don't th- know. None of that makes sense, just because how does Pinhead not be able to tell the difference between a hologram and a person? That's, yeah! That's there's. There, there's yeah, there's no precedence for him to be able to just be completely tricked like that by you know smoke and
0: mirrors. Yeah, he seems keenly aware. Like like when he shows up, when he gets summoned to the space station in the first place, for mm-hmm. example, he you know blows up the robot who solved the box, and then he immediately looks in the camera to talk to what he obviously can tell is going to be Paul Merchant on the other end of it, even though he's not looking in line of sight towards Paul, presumably. So he's managing to sense where that Paul is somewhere, sense a way to communicate with him like just like that. And yet somehow standing in the same room as a hologram, he never figures out it's a hologram. I don't I don't buy that he wouldn't get that. He seems like really, really aware of his surroundings. And again, with the probably sort of doing the mind reading type stuff. <laughs> To pick people's brains, if you can't read their mind because there's no mind there, you think you would fucking...
1: Notice that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and, um, oh, and so the ending of the movie is just that. Uh, it turns out that the spaceship they're on is a giant, uh, disassembled Elysium configuration, and, it you know... Folds it folds up it, into it,
0: a box, and then a satellite shoots a laser into it, and...
1: And it blows up, suspiciously a lot like the Death Star. Um, oh, no, Pinhead's actually, he's crucified... Uh, for for a short period of time i think because of gravity or something or something but, yeah, you know f- he gets smashed against like the wall and then he's like in a crucifixion pose and that was a pretty cool uh callback to, uh, to the to the f- to the end of 3 where he puts himself into a crucifixion pose yeah, i didn't catch the
0: crucifixion the- i was i was distracted by how sort of crappy the lighting looked during yeah. that scene it was like it it, re- it looked like it was shot on digital and really kind of blown out so it's just mm-hmm. like very white whites and then not very visible anything else and yeah, so I didn't catch the crucifixion. He did He definitely got some mutilation going on. Like he lost an eye or yeah. something, and some flesh was yeah. red on his cheek. Uh, so he was definitely getting his ass kicked by light, I guess. Which, I don't know. If you're going to build a box with lasers... That bounce around forever. They'd start bouncing around forever really quickly because it's traveling at the speed of light. You know, it seems like it would really not
1: these lasers. I mean, you saw you you, you could see them move around. I yeah, think they're, they're the like, same kind of lasers as a uh, stormtrooper, uh, you know, laser guns where they fire slow moving beams of white energy.
0: Yeah. Like, like it is heated plasma or something. It's, it's, uh... Maybe that's why uh John Merchant's
1: thing wasn't working. They couldn't get a light that was slow enough to not overload the ah, sensors. And in a... the future they got slow light by yeah. projecting it through a Bose Einstein condensate. There you go. <laughs>
0: Nicely played.
1: Oh. Um so that wasn't the actual ending. That wasn't supposed to be the actual ending. And the uh the real ending is up on YouTube. It was never um none of the post processing is done on it, so it looks kinda bad. I mean, it looks like a daily, basically. Uh, But what happens is that, you know, the merchant isn't actually a hologram. He's actually there, and he he somehow just manages to trap Pinhead there by, like, being impaled in the hooks and then grabbing and holding onto them, preventing Pinhead from doing anything. (laughs) And then, like, as, you know, everything is collapsing and the thing is collapsing, everything's blowing up, he pulls Pinhead close to him, like, you know, like kissing close and says, come to daddy, and then everything explodes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that was so much better ending like when i I just i stumbled on that last night while just doing some like additional you know research for some trivia and stuff i'm like my god this movie could have just been it's like it's it's not as bad as brazil but it's it, it's up there so as far as you know like completely changing the tone of the ending goes yeah
0: well and does does john have one more line does he say welcome I I noted the exchange, welcome to Oblivion, and then Pinhead replying Amen, with a sort of hint of a dark chuckle, and then the space station explodes. So it must have been Merchant saying welcome to Oblivion to him over the radio or something. But, uh... Which, yeah, it's like, it's... Yeah, it it, it seems like... There's definitely an echo there of the tail end of the original Hellraiser with uh, Frank Cotton's last line before he's torn to pieces being, you know, Jesus wept, but... But yeah, it's not I I would have liked the the other ending better, I think. Cuz yeah. yeah, then then the the space station explodes and then the ship we just see a shot of the ship heading back to earth and roll credits and like no further resolution just like whoop, I guess we blew up the centibytes. everything's okay, let's go home.
1: Yeah, and then the bloodline ends. Like the merchant bloodline, you know, finishes what it was, you know, did what what it accidentally release these demons and then the bloodline ends because you know that it, it sets the demons back and there's a noble self-sacrifice and then that's the thing but now you know he's going back to earth with a woman who's clearly like some sort of a love interest and yeah that, I, I think that, that that was kind of like a cop-out um yeah. i think that was also one of the complaints that uh what's his name Yeag no Yeager? um jaeger jaeger that that was one of the complaints that jaeger had was them
0: just like completely changing his ending yeah um, it's a bit Aliens Resurrection. That 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 last little. I haven't seen that one. There. Oh really? You should see it sometime. It's it, it's, it's much more Jean-Pierre
1: Jeunet's uh, yeah. La or, or I, I forget what the joke was. Somebody on to one point made a joke about how just ignore the fact that it's an Aliens movie and it's just like you know Jean-Pierre Genet movie. That was me, in fact. Uh, that was you. Yeah. Oh,
0: Okay. I, I think I came up with two uh, two joke titles. I can't remember the first one. It was it was Le something. Uh, it was,
1: whatever the, uh, what, what's The Stranger in French? Uh,
0: hmm. I don't know. So I didn't know that it was French. If only there I was I a famous <laughs> French novel of that same title that I could look up. <laughs> but I think my other suggestion was uh, Amélien, which... Uh, Amélien, <laughs> yeah.
1: L'étranger? L'étrange? And then Stranger, but spelled in French. Uh, anyway... Yeah, so I yeah, that would find be it. <laughs> so this is slowly turning into the <laughs> alien
0: cast. <Yes. laughs> well, I'm saying we, we, we've got sort of like the original alien film stuff with uh, the creepy space station you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We've got the second alien film, Aliens, with uh, the space, space, so, yeah, space soldier dudes. Uh, we've got the third one with the chase scene uh, with the dog. And then we've got the ending of the fourth one here with the, the sort of return to Earth. Uh, and who knows, maybe there will be a follow-up sort of question mark. Uh, yeah. so yeah this is this this film is basically one third of it is a treatise on uh, the alien franchise, so there you go yeah. problem solved a, yes, <laughs> we figured <laughs> it out. we cracked the movie so there you go uh man i don 't think I had any other specific notes from the credits that didn 't already come up
1: yeah I, I, there, there's there 's a surprising dearth of trivia outside of like all of those uh all of those uh, deleted scenes, um, and uh, which there's a lot of footage of, and we'll, we'll we'll link that to the blog as well. There's like at least one or two websites that have a lot of it, and somebody actually recut the entirety of Hellraiser: Bloodline, uh, so they used the footage from the movie. Uh, They used uh, the cut footage that's available, and then they used shitty CGI animation and the (laughs) script for the rest of it. And so if you want to watch the movie as it was originally intended to be in, like, three different formats, one of which is, you know, just really low-quality CGI and people reading a script, um, yeah, check it out. It's on YouTube.
0: I think it's, uh, like, on the one hand, oh, it's it's terrible in sort of a why would you do this sort of way but at the same time i want to like appreciate it and like why not i mean it's not like you're taking away from something else why not go ahead and do your little storyboard mock-up sort of recut of the thing because hey yeah, I mean, whoever did idea. it must really fucking like this movie which yeah. just strikes me as a little strange but yeah, we all have our hobbies
1: yeah they maybe say, if you, maybe as they if you record
0: their fourth episode of a podcast <laughs> about these movies yeah that
1: guy's a weirdo
0: what's his problem <laughs>
1: And now on to hour nine. Um, (laughs) (sighs) I'm looking at the IMDb trivia, and so far the most entertaining thing is air conditioning is misspelled as air conditioning on the floor plans,
0: (laughs) reviewed by the twins. Oh, I wanted to mention that there's a couple shots of a space font in the setting on the space station, too, which is just like the extreme future of... Not only is it sans serif, it's also got unnecessarily rounding where the corners should be and there's missing bits of it so you can tell it's, you know, the future and it's, it's a space font. Uh, you know, one little complaint I had in the early scene with a robot that blows up, uh, the box solving robot, right before it blows up, it gives off a little robot whimper. Does It It does. It sort of cocks its head to the side and whimpers, but like, like it's a dog robot that knows something's going to wrong to feel pain. Yeah. And then it explodes. And it's like, why? First of all, I don't think it's even a robot. It's really just, it's, it's really just a remote control machine. As far as I can tell, he's not, he's not saying robot now proceed with the box solving problem. He's actually, just, he's controlling the thing. It's just, it's just long distance arms. So why on earth it would be sitting there with its glowing eye and somehow aware and aware that it's about to be blown up and express that audibly by whining like a little dog or something? I it what? It kinda yeah. I, I guess in a sense that sort of captured the film as a whole with the combination of interesting ideas and good intentions and some problematic decision making uh that led to the final hole that we just uh And the fell into. unimpressive
1: execution of the decision. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah so uh we've now I mean this is this is the end of the Hellraiser film canon. Um from this point on none of the other movies deal with any of the themes we've talked about so far. I mean there's there's uh there's, there's you know like visual references and thematic references and I think Kirsty comes back as you know completely unnecessary fashion yeah. yeah yeah so from this point on all of the movies are horror spec scripts that they that they shoehorned um shoehorned cenobites into you like at some points like not even until like the last 15 to 20 minutes <laughs> where like a character oh it turns out that's Pinhead, and it could have been just like any other demon whatsoever. They're, there's, They're not really hellraisery at all. Yeah. But we will watch them, and we will tell you about them, and you will listen.
0: I have, I have, I have a mixture of excitement and foreboding about this, because uh, on the one hand, I think it'll be fun to tear them to pieces, mm-hmm. uh, like souls, if you will uh and uh on the other hand uh it might just be really terrible it might just be like oh my god why are we doing this so uh
1: i don't know how many of them you've seen so far I i've watched, seen all of them um, i've seen all oh, of okay. them okay okay cuz i uh, cause i watched uh I think I got either to... I think I might have gotten to seven, and each one of the movies has some redeeming qualities about it, like here or there. Like, one of them is actually kind of scary at points in a way that um, the other Hellraiser movies weren't, and I think one of them might be funny or something, and, yeah, each one of them has redeeming things, but then each one of them is also just really, really clearly direct to video. This, Yeah, this is also the last one that was released in theaters. Yeah. I I'm, I was actually surprised because I thought this was a direct-to-video one because it's it feels like a direct-to-video movie. Yeah, but, but you, I can kinda be, see, uh, you can kind of see you can
0: kind of see the money on the screen. Yeah, like, to the point where someone someone wanted to get that into theaters uh, if they were going to spend as much money on it as they did.
1: Yeah, which I I nobody knows how much. I wonder. Just I have I haven't been able to uh, pull up a budget for this. It made nine million. Oh, the estimated budget is four million. Okay, so well, that's not bad. I wonder who I mean who estimates these things. I don't know. Yeah, IMDB. That's, you know, I'm not asking questions. No citation <laughs> needed. Um Yeah, so um that 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 was the your bloodline. Indeed. Um, so, did you do you have
0: anything any left anything tr- I, I, any I, trivia? I I'm dry. Mm-hmm. I think I think I front-loaded all of my uh, my trivia. Yeah. So, uh so I I, um, I think uh, I I'm ready just uh to call it good and hunker down and brace myself for uh, a whole new dimension of pain. Uh, yep. With Hellraiser uh, uh, 5.
1: Yeah. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Um, just uh, If you're listening to this for the first time somehow, uh, we got a Facebook page. Uh, so you can go ahead and like that. And um, there's a the Tumblr. And you, could, you can review us on iTunes. Give us a um, rating there. Yeah, that's helpful, yes. I
0: guess, because like with more ratings, uh, that establishes a little bit more foot traffic, and we're possibly ever going to show up as a see also sort of thing for people looking at other podcasts. So yeah, if you if you like it, uh, go over to the iTunes and uh, do the rating thing,
1: or send us money.
0: That that's two. That's uh, that's good. And you can you we can, can yell we, at us on yeah. Twitter. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. At Josh Millard and at Griff with a PH. and uh, that's all on the blog. So you. can just, so yeah, just if, if you have no idea what to do here, just go to Google and type in, we have such films to show you, and just start clicking on things, and I'm sure it'll end well. Uh, or in, Yeah, I mean,
1: nothing has you know. ever ended poorly by randomly clicking on links on Tumblr.
0: Exactly. You know, you'll have a good time one way Definitely or another. Definitely
1: not two clicks from bizarre pornography at all times. Definitely
0: not. I'm trying so hard to come up with a uh, we-have-such-sights-to-show-you joke, and I got nothing. All right, I think we better call it, uh, uh, as always, a pleasure. Maybe maybe, yes. maybe next episode I'll finally dig into the fact that you have the same name as Yakov Smirnoff, uh, which I, I can't believe I haven't done yet, but I'm not going to do right He's now. He's
1: actually named after me.
0: Oh, okay. It's, it yeah, starts it's, to make sense then. Yeah. It's like a Merlin thing. You're traveling backwards through time.
1: Yes, I'm actually from Branson in the future. Oh, okay.
0: Do you know the marchands? i'm sorry the merchants they go by the merchants now one was the self-help guru he wrote a book um <laughs> all right i'm hanging up now <laughs> let's cue the music good night everybody see you in two weeks everybody